Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances with Matt and Ryan. Dear Mom, hey, how are you? Me, I'm doing outstanding. By the way, thanks so much for the packages I got. Free so far. Oh, my God. Smokes, hot tamales, and top ramen. So happy. I love it. I don't know when I'll be able to call again. The word is we're staying in margin until the end. But we are building living areas within the city. And we should get sat phones. So then I'll be able to make calls and whatnot. But till then, I got to write. So far, this has been a weird war. We made 12 straight days before the fight uh, of fighting and before the fighting stopped. The Afghan army and police, along with the local population, say that the Taliban is gone. But we have intel that says there's a lot left. Some are staying and putting IEDs in the ground and shit. So it's not too bad. The worst thing that happened is that Hanson, my roommate, was killed by machine gun fire. A round hit him that they couldn't sit and they couldn't save him. That was a crazy day. It was hard when he passed because right before his squad and my squad went out on patrol, he came up to me, hugged me, and told me that he loved me. And that was the last thing that I said to him, was I love you back. But it's good now and he's gone, but not forgotten. A guy in my team uh, also got shot in the shoulder on Valentine's Day, and that was my favorite day of fighting that we had. He was okay. But we had a New York Times reporter with us with us that day. And those guys got some badass footage of our squad fighting. They made a video uh, of me and my roommate Pritchard uh, fucking the Taliban up. It's so fucking cool. You know, getting shot at is as bad as you think. I had a, or getting shot at isn't as bad as you think. I had an RPG shot at me and it flew right over my head and about uh, me and about three other Marines heads. It was sick. (laughs) Not much scares me anymore. IED blasts still make me jump, but other than that, it isn't much. I hadn't been in a fight in a while and now it's going, and now it's us going into a city um, and being, and being up on the population. I think he was trying to say here that there were still a lot of fighters in the area and now we're going on. Right. Um, I wish there was more fighting though, cause time is going by so slow, but I had some fun stories to tell when I get home for sure. I miss you so much. It's nuts. I know we're uh, all over the news and I don't want to believe it. And I don't want you to believe it all. Like a lot of it's bullshit. I know cause wives are, uh, wives and parents said the news articles about three, six kilo, uh, sent us news articles about three, six kilo. And we laugh. So yeah, but I love y'all so much. I miss y'all so much more. And I hope to hear from you soon. Always and forever. Your baby boy. PS. Sorry. The letter's short. Not a lot of time to write between post patrols and sleep. And that was a letter 
written by Michael Grimes to his mother, um, you know, in about the, I want to say about the midway section of the actual push, so maybe like about a month in, month and a half in, and uh, we got Grimes here today with us. What's up? What's going on, man? Not much. Not much. Well, That's my a, mom kept that, man. Yeah. Well, lost in the lunchbox. Wild, man. Um, Big family lunchbox. It's wild 10, 12 years afterwards to look back and see what your, what, where your mind was at. And um, Yeah, I didn't find that until, what, I called you a month before coming out. Like, yeah. I was like, I found this book that my mom had, and like that letter was there, and I, I tripped out. I was like, that's going to be cool to be on that, to read again and see, and I wanted you guys to see that. Awesome. Awesome. And so today, um, going right along with the book review, um, we're going to get into it. We're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about the book review. Most of the stuff is going to pertain to you. And then we're going to get your perspective on it. I know a big thing is that I was a squad leader in the platoon and then, or in the, in the squad. And then, and then Matt was the, the APL. He's the, he's the next guy, the team leader, but, um, you were also a team leader, but as a new guy stepping in to fill some big boots, uh, on a big deployment. So, um, as a new guy with no combat prowess, no experience other than, you know, the workup and the training that you got. And then, you know, as fate would have it, the leadership that was in place was, was not gonna, was not gonna suffice. And so you had to step up and fill a role. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about it today. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. What Rock. you got for us? I think we need to start at the beginning. Um, let's go. Let's talk about, um, you know, whatever you want to talk about. We want to know, tell people why you joined. Um, what was the calling? What was the, what was the reason if there was no calling? You know, a lot of times guys join for different reasons. So we like to maybe start a little bit in your uh, youth and then work up to whenever made that decision for you to, to want to co- go ahead and go ahead and join. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had no real reason to join except my upbringing. I had bad upbringing. Um, and I had this mindset of I was going to do everything my dad never could do. My, my biological dad. Um, and I remember growing up hearing he tried to sign up for the army or something. And then the story has it, he ended up hurting his knee before they sent him out. And he just didn't go. So I was like, I'm going to join, but I'm going to join the best. I want to join the Army. I was like, who's better than the Army? And the Marine Corps. Yeah. So and I was like, well, what's what's the best thing about the Marine Corps? And they were like, the grunts. I was like, that was it. That was literally how I did it. And, you know, obviously 9-11 and stuff happened. So I was like, well, I've already said it this far. I was like, I'm going. Um, and I never looked back. You know, I spent, I went to high school, joined the uh, ROTC. Uh, it was a Marine Corps ROTC at my local high school. Um we did drill team. Uh, a lot of us, everybody that went to high school with me, but went to boot camp with me. A lot of us were going. We we're national drill champion. I, I had drill instructors there yelling at us, nothing like boot camp. But you know, I got a feel for it, and I depped in when I was eighteen, so I was held back. Um, so I spent a year in the whole pulley program, uh, working out, and then I graduated high school and. Four days after I graduated, I was in boot camp. I think it was mm. in the summer. I I was ready to go. I was no time off. There was. I told my recruiter that dude when he signed me. I was like, if I go, I go. I was like, there's no. I was like, I'll do whatever you need me to do while I'm in school. I was like, but once it's done, it's done. And uh, that was it, man. I, I didn't enjoy the summer. 
I had my friends come over for a couple of days, and my mom threw me a going away party, hugged her, got on that stupid. We took a van from Florida to here. Dude. Oh my god! Oh. There was like fourteen people in that van, and I left, <laughs> and that was it, dude. And I never looked back. Never looked back. Wasn't worried nothing. My mom hated it. She she tried to talk me out of O three, but. My thing was if, if my, my biological dad really couldn't do it and I wanted to be better than him, that's where I was going. And that was it. There was no other rhyme and reason. We we, we couldn't have even had a war. 9-11. Anything you can do, I can be better. Dude, that was it. And then 9-11 happened. I was like, well, if I'm going 03, I was like, I might as well go all the way. That's true. And 10 years later. Yeah. Motivating. Rah. So, um, okay. So, ROTC background going to outdo my father and you know hey i mean i've never heard that one as a reason you know i mean i was thinking that like however i've heard a lot of reasons but that's a i mean hey can't hate you know i'll do the old man do i'll do the old man um let's get into you brought up boot camp and you know uh every time a boot camp story is told my heart starts to feel real warm so (laughs) you got can, can you just give me a brief synopsis of your boot camp life I was, you You guys know how I am now. You guys know how I was in the fleet. That was me in, in boot camp. I was trying to get in trouble. I enjoyed it. Like, you get those people, oh, I don't want somebody on the face to punky. Like, if we was going to be stuck in a barracks cleaning weapons, I was going to do something to go to the sand pit. Right? My kill had told my mom about it. I'm sure, I'm sure she remembers hearing from Claude Jamero about it. My, my, uh, my old kill had. We graduated. He was like, you want to show him what the sand pit's like, Grimes? I was like, Shucks, bro. What? Like, you know, but that was me and Bootcamp, dude. I was always getting in trouble on purpose, working out. I had fun. I loved waking up. I tell people all the time if I was not messed up medically, I'd go back to boot camp. <laughs> I'd go back in an instant, man. I enjoyed it. I had fun. I know a lot of people are like, it sucked, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay, so we get past boot camp and you get to the fleet. Let's talk about that. Getting to the fleet can be something. Uh, let's say, uh, okay, to the fleet, you're not even there yet. You got to go to SOI. You got to yep. go to infantry training battalion and get in your uh, your fundamental building blocks to becoming an 03, yep. essentially, following boot camp. And uh, so what you got on SOI? Uh, SOI was cool. I actually made really good friends with my instructors while I was there. I seem to do that a lot with the higher ranking guys. We all know. I'm actually still friends with him to this day. He's a cop now. Um, I don't care for SOI as much basic gun training it's kind of blah it was quick what's a month um but like nothing i got my signing bonus when i was in soi like it hit my my bank account so like that's like the coolest thing i had from it there was no like richest man in the world (laughs) it was gone (laughs) it was was gone people tell me stories about how like you set up your foot lockers in the fleet and i was like I had game systems ready. Like I had things. I sent a bunch of stuff to my mom's, and then like when I went to the fleet, she sent it to me. And that's what I do with my money. But I mean, SOI, I get it. But you know, as we'll talk about later, it doesn't prepare you for fleet life. Like boot camp makes sense to me. Fleet life makes sense to me. I feel just SOI is just like a here's weapons you're gonna use, but you're gonna learn about them when you get to your job. Well, it's a familiarization, really. They yeah. don't have enough time to make you actually. right. But that and that's just me. I know a lot of people like this, so I, I was just a boot camp kid. I love boot camp. Check, check. Okay, so well, let's get to that first night leaving SOI, following graduation, and checking into three six. Uh, I didn't check directly in the three six. I believe they were on a mute. Okay. 
I, I don't remember 100%, but I remember we were in some, like, like standby with uh, Corporal Wrinkled, I think was his name, that was in charge of us. Forming. Yeah. Um, I got messed with. They were trying to get us all organized. I've talked about this before. There was apparently another Grimes. I had no idea. I dump in this pack to get organized because they're, they're get your stuff together. We got a paperwork and all the join the fleet crap. And I'm seeing like photos of women, moms. That ain't my mom. <laughs> no idea who it is, you know, like, I don't know. This is someone's girlfriend. I don't know. That might be a dad, like kind of older gentleman, like clothes that didn't fit me, stuff I wouldn't even wear, like, you know, so it was chaotic. It reminded me of boot camp and they kicked around your stuff. You couldn't find anything like. Uh, they ended up messing with me a little bit. We took him out, found him. He was just as confused as I was. Dumped my pack, there's a bunch of photos of families I didn't even know. I was like, same bro. Swapped it, never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him. Didn't catch his first name. Didn't have time. Um, and then y'all came back, and that was still scarier than all. Yeah, you guys weren't even there for that. Nope. Nope. Yeah. When, uh, when was that? Uh, you could think of a month in, uh, when you checked in. Probably November, December uh, 08. Yeah, it would have been 08 because our workup was in 09. Yeah, so November, December of 08. Yeah, I didn't get to 36 till March, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, a little after that. Yeah. And I mean, it was scary. There was some. No, they had come back from that deployment. Yeah. Because that, that, yep, now that's starting to hit now. Um, And we had only been told. You don't get told much as a boot. It's, it's funny in retrospect, but when, like, the higher people, especially the, like, salty people that were getting out who were watching us, is, like, these men saw something. What is something? After boot camp and SOI, something at this point could be anything. And you're in a combat unit. So that, like, heightened sense of, like, am I going to be beaten at 3 a.m.? You heard stories from your elders. You know what that was like. And if you don't know, I'm not talking about it. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know these people. And now I'm knowing they come back from a combat deployment. All I get from the leadership, the corporal level type stuff is they they saw something. And they all look grumpy. <laughs> they all look mad. And then they hear boots and it's like their mouth started watering. I don't think I'm going to die. <laughs> this is it. This is what's going to happen to us. But, you know, they took us in. Uh, you, know, you know when y'all came, like, we was always a real tight-knit group. <clears throat> they took us in, and they prepared us. That's all I'm going to say. Good training. Good training. Worth it training. Good hard training. Things. Do hard things. <laughs> Do hard things. A lot of them up there see me, I'm down. So, you know. Team building. Team oh, yeah. A lot of team building. <laughs> lots, of, lots of team building. <laughs> I, I learned stuff. Lots things. of team building on you, the first nights of the fleet. That's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. It was scary, man. But they was, they was. I knew I was gonna have fun. It, 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 it reminded me of a less intense boot camp. Them boys were motivated. It's yeah. interesting because my first day in the fleet was more intense than boot camp. Really? Dramatically. You want to hit that story real quick? Negative. I only say that. I only say that because patterns awful there. Matt and I did it the other night. You can't replicate a drill instructor scream unless no. you've done it. That's why I think it's them screaming. Is why I say it's. I mean, do these guys there. not like scream at trees and stuff? They like, do the entire time they they're at school. Like, so they blow their vocal cords. Like, I was never a drill instructor. I never got off at yelling at people. Like you guys know, I'm like a pretty easy guy. Yeah. Rather soft spoken. Yeah. I I just feel like if I have to yell at you, 
well, I'm not doing my job right, right? right? And so, yeah, I shouldn't have to yell at you. I'm going to tell you something. And bottom line is, if you can't if you can't get done what I need done, I will replace you. And I mean, I and especially on that deployment, there's no time for feeling out for me. I mean, I got to the unit, I got dropped in as a squad leader in September <clears throat> of you yep. guys after your entire workup. And you hadn't even really taken over in September. <laughs> no, no, I hadn't even taken over till really like probably October time frame. And then you figure November, all of no, well, no, no, we did a range in November, and then all of December we're home for pre-deployment. You were kind of just like GP sergeant at that point. <laughs> yep. Until until we're the waiting order on, waiting on a slot to open up, and then and then it opened. So <laughs> I, I just never got off on yelling at people. So it was never my thing. But it's some people's thing, and uh, yeah. But usually, they, they usually those yell. people are all there on the first night. They yell at you out of love. But think, think. I do this because I love. Them. Think about, think about <laughs> some of those guys. To save you when you're downrange by doing this. Yeah, like thank you. Think about some of those guys that we had in that squad. That even the ones that like deployed with us, like they weren't much yellers. They were you had a lot of intimidating faces. That's what I why I remember a lot of that was like you had a lot. We had a lot of hard chargers, and then they just came back from a combat deployment, so they had those eyes. We've talked about those guys. You can do that. So they didn't have to yell at me. Y'all's already hard for me. Like y'all, y'all's tough dudes. Y'all came back from a deployment, and here's, you know, nice corporal ground, probably PFC ground. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, PFC. How's that? I don't know my combination with my locker. You know, and these dudes have like fired every weapon system I just learned about in SOI, and now I got to learn from these people, right? So I mean, it was, it it was intense. Oh, I think that that speaks a little bit because, I mean, traditionally, that's how it goes. You get uh, out of school, you come to the fleet, you have a crazy night, you meet your seniors. Um, you may not even necessarily get dropped into a squad. You may not know what squad you're in for some time, especially when that changeup's going. You got deployment over, guys coming home. You got guys that are going to PCS. You got guys that are going to EAS. You got guys, you know, guys that are hurt. You got guys that died. And then there's that shuffle up. So you got that forming time in the mm -hmm. beginning. And then and then you guys kick off and uh, break down into squads. And you start to get rapport with your team. And talk a little bit about that. Talk about um, being the new guy, dropping into a team, and then just really kind of figuring out your your routine and, and like your new life and your new expectations. That, you can't prep for that. I mean, maybe some people that maybe do a lot more organizational stuff better than I do. I couldn't prep for that. You didn't know what was the right thing to say. You didn't know what was the wrong thing to say. You ever had to find a pricky uh, six, right? No, I've had to find a pricky six. You, you ever had to find a Humvee keys, right? You ever <laughs> had to just learn on the fly? Yeah, you, you ever been told, hey, I'm going to kick a hip pocket class, and that's the first time you're in hip pocket class? I mean, Everybody's been told to find a prick E6. Oh, I know. But nobody's ever been uh, told to find a prick E2. And that might be a different situation right there. <laughs> Especially if he's a salty prick E2. We had, we had a couple prick E2s coming home from Marja. Right. We'll tell the Bradshaw story on the back half. But, yes, uh, sir. But you start learning, like, just like a boot camp, like, you start seeing who those guys are clinging to. But it comes down to you. Like, you listen to them, sure, but you don't want to hold their pocket the whole time. You right. want to be the guy to correct your own. And a lot of times you learn that lesson through those guys. Why didn't you, yo, why didn't we, you were with him and you knew he was wrong when you say something? I was doing my thing. All right, well, aren't you kind of accountable for each other? Like, yeah. oh, it clicks. Mm -hmm. You know? And then some people learn fast, some people learn slow. 
And then when you're going to start getting in trouble a lot more and you all start policing your own, and I don't mean that in a bad way, you start helping each other more, you start building the rapport, and, you know, we just, we got together really quick. I don't know, I've talked to people that, I know the kind of the direction you're going with the story, but we all clicked really quick. I don't think anybody hated anybody. I think there was some dislike between some of the newer guys, of course, a lot of different personalities, but once you're training, you don't really have time to worry about hating people. You start seeing real quick when you start doing them like live fire ranges or kill houses, you know? Once that hit realization, it's like, I don't have time to hate you. Mm. I might not like you as a person. Whatever. You got your own thing. You like your own thing. I like my own thing, but you don't got time to do it. And I just, we clicked really quick. Mm. Everybody got along. I think our seniors respected us a lot for good reason. I was DD a lot. <laughs> I never said a word to nobody. Never questioned it. But that comes along too with training. Y'all, I'll say y'all, y'all trusted me. Y'all knew if you needed a DD, no matter what time of the night, I would knock on the door. Hey, I need a ride home. <laughs> It'd be three. And I'd wake up every time, two, three in the morning. I was like, someone's about to punch me in the face. It was, but y'all was nice about, hey, Grimes, I've been drinking. Like, I need to go home. Or, hey, Grimes, we're all going to go out. You got a truck. There's four of us who we could have fit, you know. Of course we can. We can, There's always room we for can one fit more. six more always. in there. Oh, yeah, you learned to pack. You learned it. What did you say when you first got here? You take a one-pound bag and put five pounds worth of product in it. Something like always. that. Uh, you know, and it was the truth. And But you all took care of us, too, in, in retrospect. If I did eat, I didn't pay for a thing. Mm. Hey, you want something to eat? Because they got a grill? Go eat. Put it on my tab. You want something to drink? I got you. And that and that speaks a little bit just to the camaraderie building, you know, prior to going. You know, yeah, you're doing this training all day. Yeah, you got the personalities, but and you're getting some all day. And I mean, of course, there's those. You know, there's always a ten percent that you know are maybe there for the wrong reasons, or maybe they're just, you know, maybe they're just not even there mentally. And you got to deal with those personalities mm -hmm. and stuff. But like, I would say that at least for myself, and and, and I would say in general for Marines, like Marines like shooting guns. They like blowing stuff up. We like going and punishing our bodies. And, uh, and so training, training in, in my estimation was always good. Like I enjoyed being in the field. I yeah. enjoyed going out and, you know, and getting it on. And, um, and so some guys that don't enjoy that, obviously they don't enjoy the field and they turn them grumpy and then you got personalities and, you know, um, but you deal with that. So, yeah. Um, so there's that, but, Let's speak about, <clears throat> I want to know your perspective on, um, I want to know your perspective, late 2009 troop increase is called for by General Stanley McChrystal and then approved uh, subsequently and things, you know, things accelerated quickly, as they said, mm -hmm. it was, yeah, we're going to go to Okinawa here and, you know first part of next year to, Hey, you're going home on pre-deployment leave in 30 days because we just got shifted into a main invasion operation into Hellman river, go see your family. And this is serious boys. Like that's the brief we got. So like, what's your perspective on that? Like, how'd you take it? How did you break it to your family? If you even broke it to your family and just the mindset of going home on, you know, on leave, and seeing the family for, you know, for possibly the last time, especially going, you know, knowing the brief that we got right before we went home. Um, so I remember we were on the rifle range. 
I tried to skate out of it with Pritchard doing swim claw. That didn't work in my favor. But I remember at some point in Red Orange, uh, Big Whiskey pulled us out and we grabbed some like ancient Vietnam TV. And that speech came out about the invasion. And this comes in what I said earlier, like, Boob don't know. I don't know where the Lance Corporal Underground gets their information. None of it made sense to me, and I never thought to ask, because, like, that was a stupid question. And when Boots ask stupid questions, Boots get stupid answers, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But I remember hearing it, and, like, we, like, y'all was just like, yeah, we're going to, I think we did cats after that real quick, and then, or something, and then it was like, we're going home, and then we're done, and we're going. Never thought that, I didn't know what the heck it meant. I was like, okay, I get to do my job. The realization never really hit me. Okay, we're going to war. We've been at war. I went home, told my mom. My mom saw the same interview that we all watched. But I, I hear you guys talking about it. And I'm like, Where, you don't get all that information before we did anything. Like, How does that come down? And then it was right. Everything that I needed to know was given at when it was needed to be given. You talk about it now and you guys were like, we had heard we were going to Marja. I didn't know we were going to Marja until we were in Afghanistan. I'd never even heard of Marja until we were in Afghanistan. So when you guys talk about that stuff, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to think, like, was I just told? But boot me was like, I just need to be told what roof to get on. So I didn't care where we were going. But everybody's like, yeah, we know about it. Homie was like, yeah, we've known about this for seven months. Like, where was I? How did I hear the speech? How did I go home? And then how did I not know about Marja until I was over there? It's okay. They're directional. You're fair. I'm like, how did I not hear about that? It's called legal guidance. I mean, the man, president I mean, gives a speech and just kind of do some research. Listen, yeah, but, but break it down. I mean, I think know. about your life at the time. You're on constant chaos. You're up at five in the morning. You're PTing. You're going to train. You're still trying to figure out like your new life. And then an announcement comes, and maybe it didn't get past you. I mean, I know it got past the platoon in word. I mean, but something if was you're passed. if you're having a one of those days where you know whatever, either it's a bad day, a busy day, a fast day, whatever. Right. What are you catching? What are you logging in? You you know you're leaving. You know the deployment got shipped. You know it's somewhere in <laughs> Afghanistan. Yeah, and maybe you just didn't hear the Marja part. Maybe right, or, or maybe not even known. Or maybe no, I know that I know for sure that that this that the name of Marja was was released to us before before we went home on leave. Okay. Um, but I think it might have been just y'all. And it could have been key leaders. It could yeah. have been key leaders that got that. And it could, you know, it could have been, hey, don't don't brief the guys on this yet. Let them go home. Let them do their thing. Kind of kind of situation. And to be honest with you, I don't remember. I know that we were briefed on Mar. I know that we were briefed on Afghanistan as a unit. But yeah. it may have been key a leaders. more um, TLs and up getting yeah. the brief about, hey, get your head right because it's going to get real. And. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and you say you don't know where the Lance Corporal Underground was uh, comes from. And look, for a long time, I didn't either. But it would make sense to me that it's probably the radio operator that works with the CO. Yeah. Usually a PFC, Lance Corporal, getting all the battalion nets coming in, all the Close regimental traffic coming in, and making notes. Yeah, then he tells, you know, yep. PFC Smuckatelli in the smoke pit. And then he comes back to his entire squad and tells them. And then, yeah. then the underground is alive and running. Smuckatella is that pretty sick. Me too, by the way. Oh, oh, I want to get back to that. I want to get back to that. You said that, have you ever had to try to find a pretty six? And and so I'd like to hear about your story of finding a pretty six. I mean, I know a lot of people going, here's the that. I got lucky with my pretty <coughs> six story. And I don't know if it's because I had a deer in the headlights look. 
But I remember my team lead at the time was uh, Walsh. And we were doing... Uh, and Walsh ended up being the CEO's radio man. Yeah. Lance Corporal Underground. And I, I remember... I mean, platoon commander. Yeah, platoon commander. I remember we were doing a hip hop class on radios. But again, I'm new. This was like, I'm fresh to the fleet once again. I'm just here to be here at this point. You tell me to jump, I'm jumping. You don't matter. He has some radios laid out and he's he's playing the role so well. We got this one, we got this one, we got this one. What the heck? my freaking six. I believed it. Grimes, do me a favor. I'm like, what? He's like, go ask Staff Sergeant where the freaky six is. <laughs> nope, not a clue. I'm thinking maybe maybe Staff Sergeant didn't give him all his equipment. Maybe Staff Sergeant, you know, maybe he lost even. I don't know. I walk up and I'm like, hey, Staff Sergeant. I was like, uh, we're looking for, I guess we got all the radios. We're looking for a pricky six. Now, maybe we should explain for our viewers who aren't following E1, E2, E3, E4, all the way up to E9 is how we establish our rank structure enlisted one, enlisted two, so PFC, private PFC, Lance Corp, all the way up. Well, E6 is Staff Sergeant. And now he's asking his platoon sergeant if he's seen any pricky sixes. And so, yep. little, uh, little, little traditional. Also, a designation for a radio is PRC. PRC. So it's like yep. you say prick. Not a clue. Not a clue. So I go up to him and I'm like hey, pricky sixes? But I'm serious about it. I, like I'm not over there joking. So you're know? just like, yo, Staff Sergeant, do you know where the pricky hey, sixes are? Hey, Staff Sergeant, my team lead said we're missing it. We got it. And Staff Sergeant just looks at me like I'm out of my face. Now, mind you, boot me. I'm like, my team lead just asked me to do something. Now I'm coming back empty-handed. Nothing bad would ever happen to me with that, you know? I'm going to be okay. Message to Garcia. So, uh, figure it out. Right. So I'm like... <laughs> message to Garcia. Oh, message to Garcia made sense after a while. Also, mind you, for y'all who don't know who Big Whiskey is, we call him Big Whiskey for a reason. That's why this story is funny. Or it could have been funnier. But I was like, Staff Sergeant? The Grimes? <laughs> you know who he was. I was like, do I? Do we just not have them, Staff Sergeant, so I can let my team lead know? And... <laughs> I was I was scared, right? Like I didn't know. And you remember what Staff Sergeant would do? His like when he was really angry. So I got that to the face. He's like Grimes. The last time I'm gonna say, get out of my face. I still have no idea the pricky six joke. So I turn around and go back. In my head, I'm gonna be like, how do I tell them this without making Staff Sergeant seem like a jerk? Right. Still not in on the joke. Retrospect, I'm sure it was super funny for Walsh the way I explained this, but I come back. I was like, uh, Lance Corporal, <laughs> right? He's like, where's my pricky six? I was like, I think I would have got punched in the face. Like he, I don't know if he, he has it, if he lost it, <laughs> <laughs> right? He's laughing. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, he just told me to go. And he's like, Grimes. I was like, really? I was like, I asked for it twice. And he starts laughing even harder, and all the other seniors around there is laughing even harder. He's like, well, where is it? I was like, he did a this thing and said I had two seconds. It was the last time he was going to tell me. And he's like, he sent you on your way? He's like, yeah. He said, he's like, so no pricky six? I was like, no, nowhere. He didn't have anything on him. I'm like, you know. It was explained to me a lot later. <laughs> a lot later. Because I never heard anybody else get pricky six. Well, there's been several that have been pretty oh, sick. I, I've heard stories when I got out. I talked to people, but like, mm, I, that was, 
with my Staff Sergeant stories, that was the one time nothing happened with Staff Sergeant. Yeah, we'll get into some of those other ones. Oh, yeah, we got, we, got, some, we got funnies. The, o- the other thing about that is knowing who Walsh is, and Walsh was very serious and dry. Oh, point, yeah. But he did have a good sense of humor. He did. So yep. he was the one to pull that off. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Perfect. Because I'm, I guarantee Brown was so scared when he came back. Walsh perfect. scared me, bro. Walsh literally scared me. Like, he was good at PT and stuff, and I was still kind of, you know, I was skinny, but I was chunky skinny, right? I, I, I always I always <laughs> had that. You were beginning your ascent to fluffy. <laughs> Y'all, they called me fat boy the entire Marine Corps career. I was always fat boy. Like, What's funny is you can weigh 165 pounds and be considered fat in the Marine Corps, yep. so <laughs> yep. kind of a lose-lose for you. Um, okay. 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 So we're past that. We're past that. And now we push into Marja. Well, let's talk about uh, January. So we get back from, Oh, we get back from, um, pre-deployment leave. Oh, we make it to, uh, uh we rewind the pre-deployment leave. Let's go to pre- pre-deployment after leave. the pre-deployment leave. Sounds like he's got something on that. That's when I was promoted, which made this entire deployment even scarier. So, so kick that. I, I'm, I know y'all know more backstories on it, but, you know, pre-deployment leave, again, I don't know where we're going to margin, but I tell my mom, you know, as you can tell from the letter, I I, I probably downplayed it, you know, like, hey, being shot at is fun, mom, but, like, I always tried to play tough for my mom. Always but, but really, not really. But not yet, but sort of. Like, same, but same, but different. Of. Same, same, but different, right? Mm-hmm. And y'all know how it was with my mom. I played tough with my mom. Like, <clears throat> worst situation in the world, mama wasn't going to see her boy be upset or scared, right? But I told my mom... Um, trust the guys. Mind you, we still didn't know Ryan all that well. Right. But I reassured to my mom, hey, you know, we're a tough-knit group. We're a strong squad. I was like, I, I believed in Ryan. I lied to you, mom. I'm sorry. I didn't really know Ryan all that well. Um, <laughs> didn't. We can talk about that later, too. My whole thing with Ryan was just because I followed Trish, right? And I had plenty of talks with Creel and everything. But um, I was in the barracks. I want to say it was within that first week back. We were still doing like SIF stuff with the new guys. We were like getting PCCs and PCIs felt like every day a thing, maybe twice a day, like adding something new, taking things out. But I remember, I think Eman called me on that one. And him and Big Whiskey were down by the, um, the watering area. And I think you had come out there as well, or you were walking towards there. I remember you being there. Somebody was there with them, but they called me down. They brought Piccolo down. I don't know if someone was there. Yeah, that was myself and you. Was it you and your email? I think I think Big Whiskey was there too. Yeah, I, I remember seeing you two for sure. Then I remember Colo came down, and <laughs> I remember E Man kicked it. You know, E Man was he was gonna he was gonna motivate this as motivating as possible. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, he's like, you know, there needs to be some changes in the squad. You know. He made us all feel good, and then he was like, you know, Grimes is going to be your team. And I'm like, I remember I looked at Colo, who is a, you know, combat veteran. I looked at Simmering, who's had experience, and I'm like, I looked at y'all, and y'all looking at me, like, E-Man smiling, you know, he's puffing the chest because this is motivating him after his speech. I'm like, but what about Vicolo? (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I think Ryan kicked it up because he was trying to show, like, he trusted everybody. He's like, that was Vicolo's gun. He was the saw gunner. Like, he needs to be on that gun. What about Simmering? You know, I forgot what she said about Simmering, but it was, you gave him props on his on his whole thing. So, yeah, it just kind of boiled down to, 
a feeling for me. Um, and I'm sure that it may have had more, there was more debate about it between Steph, Sergeant, and LT, because ultimately when it comes down to it, I'm going to tell them what my recommendation is or what I want. And ultimately it's their, it's their show. Right. If it can happen, it can happen. If it can, it can't. And, um, and, and no disrespect to Simmering whatsoever. Uh, John Simmering was great dude. Corporal John Simmering, great dude. He came over from one, one, um, and he did, he did good in the push. Uh, we just didn't have him very long. Yeah. Um, and he was good with us all as well. I mean, it was the same kind of thing. You know, you see this guy and I knew that he had carried us all with one, one, and I knew that he had gotten some, and I had a buddy in one, one that actually was in his platoon. And when he came over to us, he PCS and you know, he's, he's there, I'm there. And so I call up my, my, my guy, I called my guy, Matt out in Horno, you know, he's at Horno mm -hmm. and, um, just said, Hey, you know, do you know this guy? You know, these are some of the guys that came from Horno. I was calling for him and a couple other guys. And um, he just told me, he said, look, man, he's good under fire. He'll remain calm. Um, just keep an eye on him, like kind of kind of more of a Indian than a chief kind of thing. Like he's, he's great at following orders. He's going to wield the gun. He's not going to hurt you in any way. But decision-making process when other guys' lives are on the line, you, I mean, make your own evaluation, but check it out. But that's how I felt like I was when you promoted me. I, I was like, it didn't make sense. Like, I got the weapons impl uh, implications, and I got that. But for not having a combat deployment under my belt, I always felt like I was an Indian more of a chief because, like, I relied on y'all. Like, and that's... It, it, I remember calling my mom that night and talking to her about it. My mom's like, well, great. You you know, you always go hard. You always go hard. And I was like... I It, it was probably being scared because we're going into a combat. Sure. But I was like, it just... No matter how it, because you even said I was getting a new guy when we when we got the B drops, um, I was like it just doesn't make sense. I was like, I, there's corporals in this. I was like, you're giving me a new guy, a new guy's leading the new guy that didn't even have a workup. Like he, Cats was the was horror stories. You know, you hear floating around SOI and stuff like that. Right? I was like, I've never done this. I remember telling my mom specifically, like, what if I get shot at and I don't shoot back? Mm. Right? Because I didn't know. I didn't know my fight or flight. My fight or flight was in training. It was it was controlled ops. It was it was there. We were there. We had blanks or whatever we were using. I was like, why me? What have I done that's been like, you know, you're going to put a team under me and I'm bringing everybody home and rah, rah, rah. It, it never made sense to me. Even that's while we were in so it. A lot came down to instinct and uh, and not just mine. Obviously, I give my recommendation. I say what I, I, I say in my piece. But, right. but, you know, the rest of the leadership, uh, had the same instinct, had the same feelings. Had, and ultimately, you know, if you didn't take that position, Simring's gone with his leg issue early in the deployment, and then you're taking that spot anyway because Vicolo's shot in the first two days. And well, yeah, they ain't done with that yet. And, I mean, I know we're not there yet. I never I mean, looked at it. I mean, if you look at it, you're just going to take that spot anyway. anyway. So, and another big thing was, um, you know, you just got stuff done. You were able to get stuff done. And you might not have always got it, you know, made it look sexy, but the same with the same with nothing same with, I did look sexy ever. I am very uncoordinated. Well, there was one, get it done. Yeah. there was one sexy thing you were part of, but we'll get to that. Okay. Oh man, I don't want to know. Nah, I, <laughs> five day war LCPO. Good story. Oh, oh, yeah. oh god. Um, you called that though. I didn't call that. I was just no, nah, but you made it look sexy. It was sexy. Uh, okay, so so we're past so we're past that. Um. Oh, sorry. Their direction. 
<laughs> Only the second podcast, y'all. We're getting used to the equipment still. So, so that gives us a little bit of, bit of perspective, right, on what you're viewing, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and honestly, we haven't talked about that. So it's you know that's like yeah, I get it. Um, but instinct, it came down to instinct. It came down to just purely that gut saying let's let's make this recommendation and then if they go with it cool they went with it and um and ultimately i say you handled your emotions good because i didn't think that you were scared when you got it it was kind of like a smile and nod roger that sir yep yep motivated and uh the the pit i it was e-man that's what i'm telling you right now that like the way he set it up like if e-man if you listen to this if you didn't actually believe in me but consensus put me there I never would have known. And I looked up to E-Man, hell or high water, so like, that puff chest, he was, Grimes, you're going to do the kids something, blah, blah, blah. Like, the pit in my stomach was there. I wasn't showing it. No way I was showing that. He always had that, like, that, that little evil smile. You see his white teeth. Yep. He's like nodding his <laughs> head, crinkling his nose up. Yeah. No, because nope. I was also scared, too. Like, if I was scared and he saw I was scared, was I going to get that E-Man run? Was he gonna? Was he gonna give me? Was he gonna give me extra training to make sure, like, I know you can do this because you're not gonna keep up with me, but you're still gonna try that thing? Like, no, it's gonna sit where it's at. I'm gonna go call my mother, right? <laughs> I'm gonna vent to mommy because what? It, no marine can say they don't call their mom mommy. Like, I know y'all love your parents. I went to my mom. My door was shut. Hanson was in the room. I think uh, his sister and the family came down. He was gone. I was in my room. I'm on the phone, mom, and that's everything I would have said to you went to her Mm-mm. and my mom was just as motivated though she's like you always try to go hard and do everything great like go they hard. saw that in you and you know yeah, i'm like mom but i'm when scared I was, when i was home you don't want me here and now you're motivated i'm a team lead in the place you don't want me to be and she like, was she was she was motivating you dude, she was, dude, she, that was she yeah because what's the mom supposed to do you're supposed to like in that situation a good parent is going to do just that because if you jump on that same train all that's going to do is reinforce that scared and negative emotion that that person's had. And I think that made her feel better with the deployment, though, that y'all saw something in me without a deployment in me that you thought. And at least in her head, I know I know logistics and I know feelings come into it. But in my mom's head, like, y'all saw a badass that was going to go in and get shit done for y'all. Like, that made my mom feel comfortable. Like, I had told her, I trust you. I trust you. I trust Bennett. You know, y'all put me in a position. <laughs> Yeah, man. And, so, um, and then we left. And then right? we left. And then we left after we got the B drop. When he refers to the B drop, he's referring to we come home off of post deployment leave or pre deployment leave, I'm sorry. And um, we're home from pre deployment leave and we have like 10 days and we're deploying, right? And then we get a boot drop uh, from SOI and we got the Bs. So we got four Bs Brady, Breland, Bridges. Bradshaw. And Bradshaw dropped to our platoon and then scattered throughout the squads. We took two of them. You took one of them personally to your team for the push, um, Matt Bridges. Um, Matthew and, 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 and again, guys, you want to talk about trial by fire, take two privates to your squad out of infantry training battalion one day, run them to SIF to get all their combat loadout, run them to a range to get them a combat zero on their weapon that they've never even held before. And then put them on a bird and send them to Afghanistan and say, Hey, uh, this is a rough one. And there's going to be trial by fire. Literally don't be the one. 
right? And listen to your team. Another trial by fire on top of this trial by fire is being newly promoted with no combat experience, not even having the recognition of these guys just came Sith rifle range. Happened to do with I got with you a lot. You're like, where's Bridges? I'm like, I'm still trying to organize my gear and check the other guys. And you just looked at me, you're like, you better figure out something. I'm like, I can't. Yes, like, you ain't sleeping. I, yep, yeah. nope. And it was. This wasn't time. This, it wasn't. And that was. I mean, I, mean, I understand and I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. This kid just came out of school. Mm-hmm. These kids just came out of school. They know, they know, they know school. And uh, get your gear and let's go, boys. Saddle right, up. I say in the uh, earlier half of the 20th century, they were doing that in the first. In, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam. Oh, you're a boot. No, you're still going. <laughs> yeah. There's no work up for you. You're getting on a ship and you're going like the ti- and- Tigerland for Vietnam. We're going to run you through Tigerland one time and then send you over. Right. right. We're going to run you through one real bad training evolution with some guys that just got home and then send you over. Exactly. The only reason we don't think of it like that is because they tried to build in a schedule of work up for us, but at that point we didn't have a choice. Right. And, and they didn't have a choice and either. And they didn't have a choice either. <laughs> you know, they cropped I mean, out. Green weenie for a reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Semper Gumby coming at you hot. So these guys are going to go over and get some, you know, 11 days after graduating school, which is pretty awesome. So we pick them up. We get their SIF gear. We, we move them through. Um, didn't we give them a weekend or something? At least go see their family. I, I remember, like, they got they some They got time. leave, I think. Or they, yeah, it wasn't they much time. Yeah, they, we that. didn't get much either. I think and, and then they may they may have chalked some of those guys off before they came to us out of SOI, knowing that they were they were you know filling. Right. Who knows? Um, so we got them, and we go to Cherry Point. We spend a the night there because of customs, a customs you know issue related issue, <laughs> and then we board the Warbird the Warbird over, and. Um, only thing I remember about that, I remember Kurzakshan, and I hated it. <coughs> it was cold. It was, it was snowing. I, I remember I felt like it was like, you know when you play post-apocalyptic video games and like you just find that bed that's run down and slept in it? That's how I remember feeling the whole time. Like <laughs> Everything was run down. I remember like, I remember we had times like when we would play spades and we would try to do it where we could see doors because it was so slippery outside. If you forgot, you were busting your butt outside the door like... It, 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 I just remember, I was like, God, we're about to go to another crappy place in this world. <laughs> and, like, you couldn't even put us in a place that, like, had decent beds that didn't smell like people peed all over the place. And I'm like, it, it was... <laughs> and, again, if, if I'm the only one that felt like that, like, this is what this is about. But I, I remember hating every second that we were in there. I, I was like, I was like, I'd rather go to combat. And I didn't know what combat was and sit here another day. But luckily, I got I played a lot of spades. Um, cough, cough. You know, so that like kept me busy and kept me from like really hating it. But like, I was angry for a little bit. I hated that place. The only thing I'll say is when we got back to Manus, when we were egressing out of Afghanistan, going home, it seemed like a five star resort. It seemed real <laughs> nice then, didn't it? Yes. Retrospect, nice. absolutely. <laughs> but since we're going in chronological order, yeah. no. Got you. Retrospect. The Triangle Motor Inn was better than where we were staying, in my opinion. In Jacksonville's finest. Of course. So, um, okay, so now we're over. We get to Manus. We do the Manus rigmarole. We board We board C-130s, and we take them into uh, what was Camp Leatherneck at the time. And, you know, we had to get our acclimation. We had to get, you know, our rules of engagement brief. We had to get, you know, all the things they tell you that they're going to put you in prison if you do. 
Yep. And so we get all of that, and um, and then it's time to cut. We we did we did some training, you know, about a month of training, I think. Um, we got there in the beginning part of January, first couple of days of January, and then the actual invasion D Day was February thirteenth or twelfth. I think it was supposed to be the twelfth. And it ended we up being on the 13th, 13th because yeah. of the bus. See yeah. what they said they told us. Which so with that though, um, from the book, if you haven't read the book, I, I think what lessons learned. One big thing I wanted to talk about in that month was you write about not knowing how your new new guys will feel. Sure. I actually had that with Bridges because new new guy. So again, we've been talking about it. He's you know week out of SOI going right overseas and we're, we're doing the thing but I remember specifically I remember when they were giving me uh, EOD was teaching you know they had you remember that big wooden board they had with all the pressure plates and stuff and different yep. mechanisms yep. you're talking about in country yeah in country when yep. it was, they were trying to show us like hey we don't really know like we know Mark is going to have IEDs we just don't know what because nobody was there really like they I remember they were probing it and we were getting some intel but they were like here's just what we've seen around surrounding areas but I remember you know part of my leadership learning from you guys was like when you get the new new guys you got to watch them they're they're scared but like complacency you don't want to sit through these classes even though you should but I remember looking at them and I remember him being so intent on this class like this was the class for Bridges that, like, if I'm looking at him, he's thinking something on this board is going to kill him. So, I don't I don't mess with it while he's there. I want him to learn. He's intent. I'm, I'm appreciating it. We get done. I think we had break for the day. And I do was, like, go to chow, kind of hang out, you know, go over your gear, make sure your birthing area looked well. Um, and Because we're still Marines. Right? We're still Marines. Accountability all the time. That'll be a story for later. Um, and I pulled Bridges out and I was like, him, I was like, you know, let's go to Chow or something. I don't remember. I took him just by himself. We're totally cold, like, leave us alone, you know. And I was like, hey, man, I was like, are you good? He was like, what do you mean, man? Corporal? I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no team, like, man to man stuff. I was like, let's get a real talk. I never really had one. A lot of it was me trying to replicate you guys. And I'm shaking. That's me. I know. I'm trying not to twitch. I'm trying to hold um, And he. <laughs> It's funny now, but then, like, I talked to Ryan about this. He looked at me, and he's like, I know it's somewhere around the lines of, like, he's no, there's nothing I can do, but he's seen the movies before. Still don't hit me what he's talking about. I'm just trying to talk to the kid. I was like, what you mean? He's like, I know you've seen the war movies. The new guy always dies first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I tried to be positive. I was like, that's not always true. And he's like, bro, he's like, more new guys. He's like, we're those extras in those movies that get blown up. And that's when the realization, like, how new these guys were. I'm a new guy, in a sense, as a team lead with no combat experience. I was like, you trust me? Really? I said to him, he's like, well, I have to. I was like, that's fair. I was like, are you scared? He kind of looked at me. I was like, to be honest, are you scared? He's like, yeah. I was like, then you can survive. I was like, I'm scared as hell. He's like, you don't look it. I was like, I ain't going to show you I'm scared. Mm. I ain't going to show Ryan I'm scared. Shred knows I'm scared. We talked all the time. Like He knew I was. I was like, but I'll tell you this right now. You tell Ryan or any of those boys you ain't scared, you're going to have a real long conversation. It ain't going to be bad. 
But you should be scared. That's what keeps you alive. Part of it. You know, and I just told him, I was like, we just got to keep trusting each other. I was like, I know you're new. Ryan was new with us. I was like, we put all our faith in him. All our eggs was in a basket with you, dog. Yeah. All yeah. our eggs was in the basket. No choice. No Ditto. choice. Ditto. Hey, choices, not chances, right? Mm-hmm. It, there, there was no choice. It was made for us. It was made for us, you know. And I told him this uh, the other day where I was like, I think that's what kept me alive. That's why I wasn't scared to die. Hell or high water, I was going to make sure I got that kid home. You know, when we fast forward to the end, I, it's not a long story. I just went inside and I sat there. I was like, hey, Bridges, you remember what you said to me? And he was like, no. I was like, and I just looked at him and I smiled. And I was like, hey, Bridges, I thought the new guy dies in this story. <laughs> you know, and if I died, I was going to save him. And brought him home. And But that's, I think they all were like that. Him, Bridges. Yeah, and I could imagine that would be, I mean, think about that. I mean, I, I've never been put in that situation. I, I always got great like training that. before my deployments. I always, I mean, I didn't get a workup <laughs> with you guys, but I had, I had already led a squad in combat mm-hmm. uh, prior to that. I'd already done multiple, you know, different kinds, but multiple deployments before that. And so, um, I mean, that dude, I mean, that's a lot. That's heavy. That's heavy. That's heavy. And this kid's 18. All of them. They're all 18. And I didn't have time to, I don't even think I talked to you about that. I didn't have time. I didn't want to put that in my head. Uh, like when he put, he, if, if you listen to this Bridges, like you put something into me that like, I don't think anybody could have. That realization was like, I didn't have time to talk about that. And and that speaks to, I want to say that speaks to, I mean, just straight up leadership in general. I mean, that's breaking it down. That's noticing that you have a man who's shook and it's okay to be shook. Like Absolutely. you said. Especially in the situation, especially you're 18, especially coming out of school, you're shook up and you can handle that a, a variety of ways, right? You could, you could go hard at him, you, you know, you, you know, don't be a pussy, you know, whatever you want to say to him to try to motivate him. And for some guys that might work. Um, that wasn't my approach. Nope. And I'd like to think that uh, some of you guys fed off of the way that the way that I handled business and, and I feel like the way you handled it was good. You take them offline, hey, drop them. Dude, we're in country and we're about to do some stuff. Uh, I need to know where your head's at. Nope. I need to know where your head's at right now because it, you, can, you can't tell me it's okay right now and we don't talk about it and then we go do this and it's not okay. Not okay yeah. Like this is the time we're not, in, not being shot at. We're not in harm's way. You, like let's, let's, let's bang it out right here. And, and then, you know, sometimes you, Sometimes there's not much to say except for, hey, man, I got you. Yep. You know, if 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 you don't make it, I ain't making it because I ain't coming back without you. Yep. And then the difference is you really mean it. And when people feel it and you really mean it, you know, they take it. They take it and they say, okay. I mean, and, and, and at that point, you don't have a choice. <clears throat> yep. I've got, got to make you feel better. I got to build some rapport. I got to get your head right. But uh, you don't, we're still doing this. Yep. Like this is still going to happen. We ain't going back home. No choice. There's no choice in this. So um, I will say too, just thinking about it now, that gave you purpose Boom. as a team leader. Yeah. Because who was the other guy in your team? It v. was it v. was Vocolo, and then you had Simmering. No. In the beginning, that's yeah, yeah that's Simmering how before he left for the quarter. It was Simmering, Vocolo, and Bridges before all the breakdown happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but, that, but still, so you got, got two guys on your wavelength. Right. And Actually, they, uh, almost they were as above far me. as experience yeah. above you. 
So that actually putting him in in Grimes' squad or Grimes' team was actually a really good move. Oh yeah, dude, definitely. Well, I don't know if you he thought did. about it like that at a time. No, no. Well, I mean, we needed to fill the team. Right. So you you're know, not going to break the like other we, two teams. Up. I got I got four Bs. Right. You get two of them. <laughs> and cool. They're going in the squad that's weak. Right. Or the team that's weak. The team right. that's light, not weak, but light. Light equals weak. But, uh, yeah, that gave that gave you purpose as a team leader and, and something that's to what, strive toward and make and make sure your your stuff's doped in every yeah. time you go out on patrol. Absolutely, and, and and that goes to and that goes to leadership. That goes to the different styles of leadership. You got some guys that are going to operate differently. My style of leadership was always, I got you, like hell or high water. I got you. We're doing this. We're together. Um, and I always. Um, and, you know, much to my demise after everything happened, but I always took my guys in like family. Like as soon as your mind is possessive, this is my squad. These are my guys. These are my team leaders and I am responsible. And then as you're a team leader, these are my guys. I'm the team leader. Ultimately, I am responsible. Right. And so that is the that the ownership piece of leadership that I would take on going into combat with guys is is you are just an extension of me. You are my arms. Right. And so I can't lose my, you know, obviously. And then, um, and so that's what Bridges kind of gave to you and you gave to him back saying, Hey man, we in this together and this is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Like as, you know, as all, all estimations are pointing, this is going to be a rocky road, but we are okay. And even when you're scared presenting to your subordinates that we are okay is important and um, and he did that good, and I think our squad handled a lot of that good. Yeah. And so, um, okay, so great segue, great feeling for you know how do some of these younger guys feel? Um, you being one of those younger guys, clearly 20. twenty years old, and then you got Bridges at eighteen, mm-hmm. fresh out of school of infantry, mm-hmm. infantry training battalion, and we're in it, Manama or Manus, Manus Air Base. Yep. Manus Air Base, C-130s into Leatherneck. Briefs are over. Pleasantries are done. We've met our ANA. We've done a live fire range. Everybody's comfortable. And it's 2.30 in the morning now, and we're standing with... Light day. Standing oh. with our full combat load and heavy day packs full of ammo. Every guy on the hoof's probably pushing 300 pounds. You were probably a bit more than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny you say that because when y'all was talking about it on your episode about what we had, y'all didn't cover what we didn't have. I think I had because I had to make room for the extra right. extra. What I don't remember what was in my pack. I remember there were times when like one of you two came up with just a random assortment of things and was just like things that go. Boom. Hey Grimes, we, we all Grimes, we made room. You make room, and I stared at you, and you're like, and don't worry. The team leads made room, and I remember looking at my pack. I'm like, well, I guess I'll. I need at least a pair of socks, uh, a pair of skivvies. I was like, so everything else can go. Like, no underwear. I'm like, all right, so I got room. Five pounds into a one pound pack, right? Exactly, and then I, hang it off the side. I think I had. I think I even dumped water. I didn't drink a lot of water anyway. So everybody's like, you do what? Like, right, right. Took all my water. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but. I, my pack was nothing but munitions. Hey man, and like, <laughs> guess what? You weren't the only one. Oh, I know. When they brought those pallets out for our squad's ammo loadout, mm-hmm. every squad organic weapon st- 
stacked to the brim. I, I'm, I know in my pack alone, I had two claymores. I think I had something like six frags, a couple thousand rounds of 240 ammo. Um, I had seven or eight extra magazines for myself pushed in. I had uh, trip flares, a uh, quarter, quarter stick of, of TNT uh, for door poppers all over my rig. I had two white phosphorus uh, 60 millimeter mortars because we were we, so basically in the grunt side, it's just what you do. Your weapons guys stuff is so heavy and they need so much of it, especially for an operation like this, that they turn to the they turn to, they turn to the O3s, uh, to the 11s and they say, hey, you know, we support you. You guess, better bring some yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is for your warm and fuzzy machine guns. So uh, right. take 4,000 rounds and we'll get it from you later kind of thing. And so it was every, literally every person in the squad probably had a hundred pound day pack that was just the ammo. And then what they chose to try to swing off the side of their pack for preacher comforts after that. And I had so, a body bag as well. Yeah, and body bags. Body uh, everybody had 10, 10 sandbags either packing their flak or their bag yep. uh, to start trying to build up some defenses once we got a foothold within the city. That and was so, the scariest thing you ever gave me. The body, bag. body bag. I remember that. That's when I was like, oh, this is real, real. Like, yeah, some people are going to listen to this that aren't in the military. So I'm like, you're going to war. What do you mean that's real? Well? When they hand you a body bag, and you start putting the pieces together, there are no American footprints within this city. And it made sense. Yup. That silence. Yep, you're like, yep. Yeah, so we got those body bags um, the night after LT's warning order at yeah. DeWire to pack so that we could leave for Leatherneck for the for the flight. And and uh, I remember that. We had a great speech. Um, we had just gotten our order. We had just been notified that they estimated, you know, between 500 and 1,000 hard fighters ready for us. And we got our scheme of maneuver as a squad. Um, subsequently, I gave the team leaders what – you know, my order a little, a little while later that night, just as, as we worked out schemes and maneuvers, uh, you know, in those first couple objective buildings that we wanted to get to and, and, and really post up at, which all went well. Um, but yeah, uh, the command came up and we spread loaded like some 20 body bags amongst, you know, 40 guys. And, and that sets in a, that's a good percentage, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, I know we don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, it was, it was like enough that. to shake people's nerves up. And I just, re I was locked into some kind of zone and I had been there before. So it wasn't a shock factor to me, but I know that, uh, you know, some of the younger guys, Wetzel's face went blank. Um, um, Bridges uh, got a little shook. Even you now saying, damn, you're handing me body bags that I got to put my buddies in or, or, or as a leader, a leadership, uh, Marine, you're handing me body bags that I have to put my mistakes in. Yeah. And um, and that's real, man. Like you said, that's when it, you know, you all kidding aside, like we know we're going in anyway. And then they put that physical reminder of, hey, this is your mistake. So uh, don't, don't fuck it up. Don't use it. Bring that back empty. Yeah. Leave it for somebody else. Yeah. Right. We turn over. Right. So, and that was wild, wild. So getting back to it, we're at the flight line. We're about to pick up off and make that, uh, make that invasion flight into Northern Marja. And um, I want to kind of get your, I want to kind of get your thoughts. What was going through your head uh, as we were on the bird? I want to know um, how you remember how long we were doing flight deck drills as we're sitting with a hundred pounds on our back and straddling each other on the floor of the choppers. 
and like just what's going through your mind in that time. I remember getting out there because I remember we had talked about it being like bigger than Vietnam in terms of insertion with the helicopters. I remember what like seeing all of it and seeing like because we weren't the first ones on the flight deck. And we had, there was already lines of Marines doing the drills. I remember just seeing all of this and just, it was calming. It was, it, How many helicopters do you remember <laughs> seeing on the flight deck? This is something that uh, Charette and I have talked about. All joking aside, it felt like hundreds. Yeah, and I don't know how many it was. I don't, I'd be interested to maybe, maybe we'll dig into some research I mean, and find out how many. Yeah. Well, they, they it was told it was said that it was the largest kilo-born invasion since Vietnam. Now I don't know if it crosses to the army and because I know they did a lot of big stuff. But in, for the Marine, yeah, because they had air for the Marine and Corps, yeah. yeah. But for us, it was the largest kilo-born invasion since Vietnam. Not the biggest, but since Vietnam. Since but Vietnam. I remember being calm. a lot of choppers. Yeah, and, and I don't want to like stroke the Marine grunt ego here, but I'm going to do it, please. I do remember it. being so like there is nothing in this world to this day. Child, my child being born, any of this stuff. There's nothing like being on a deck like that and seeing every mobile gun piece of equipment with that amount of Marines. We all have each other back. We're all Marines. Hell or high water, we're bringing each other home, right? Nothing felt safer than that moment. Seeing every possible gun we could put on our shoulders, backs, Backpacks, 240 saws, DMRs, 50 cal probably, uh, whatever. Yeah. Big guns, like, and knowing, <laughs> you think about Warner, everyone's like, oh, you're going to go get shot at, cool. If you could, if I could have taken a picture of that. They would have gave up before we left. That yeah. was, Agreed. why would you fight <laughs> that? And you, Look at our nickname, Tufel Hunted from the Germans. Like, people saying that, like, oh, you can't take this mountain with, in a hundred thousand years, whatever it was in Japan, and we took it in, what, a week? Marines? You know what I'm saying? Like, and now I'm looking at our whole past coming in front of me. I remember thinking, like, <laughs> y'all ain't stopping us. You don't stand a chance. Like, y'all, shoot program, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, so, in the, what you said there was stroke the the marine ego, and it's like um, I don't care what service branch you're in. If you're in that situation and you don't vibe on that, and you don't feel that, and you don't look out and see a thousand marines loading onto helicopters with their full kits and their full squad organic capabilities, and you look out and you're still scared, something's wrong with you as a marine. The pit bull speech, bro. There was pit bulls on that flight deck. Like we were chained up, ready. Like you, we I mean, were defending, bro. And it was. I just got I just got goosebumps when you were describing it again. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, if you don't, if you look up and you see that, I mean, you got guys wearing bandanas that weren't supposed to. But right. hey, guys with bandanas nice. hanging out, you had machine gunners with the cross Rambo two forties across them, not because they wanted to look good for a picture, but because they literally couldn't carry any more yep. ammunition in their backpacks. And you just look out at this, and I remember as a squad leader, and I don't know how you felt as a team leader or how you felt as a team leader, but I the same thing, man. Like. You bring that up and it strikes those nerves because I do remember standing like behind those HESCO walls. And then we finally got to come out because we're going to our bird and all you see is just a flight deck full of horror and, and discomfort coming your way hot. And all of them are mad. All of them are tired. 
All of them are cold. Cold. All of them are wearing 100 pounds in their back, and they can't wait to make that pack lighter, right? Yep. And right. and I just remember looking at, at that and saying, yep, this is exactly what I wanted to do. These are my people. These are my this people. this is where I was meant to be. And then we got on the birds. Ugh. And then we did up-down drills for what seemed like... Hours. Days. It wasn't hours, but it did seem like it. And I remember, like, the second time we went up, he's like, up, turn, turn turn and I'm on the back door. So I'm seeing all of the choppers doing the same thing, you know, and everybody's just doing like, it's probably their pre-flight checks or yeah. whatever they do. Right. And, um, I just remember like you guys, it felt like forever. Well, it felt like forever because we were sitting on the bottom of the, you know, we're sitting on the floor of a chopper. I got, you know, in there, everybody's got their legs between each other's legs. Everybody's lined up, stacked up on the chopper. And, uh, it was very uncomfortable. And then you had a hundred plus pounds on your back. So your shoulders are already burning. And then, uh, and then finally we lift off after like what you said, what seemed like forever. Yeah. And we're in the air now. And and just from my perspective, and I'm going to get yours and yours as well, Matt. Um, but pulling off that night, finally, as we lifted, we're pulling off and I was second out of the bird. So I, I want to say uh, big whiskey was right beside me mm-hmm. on the, on the tailgate and I'm right beside him. And as we pull up into the night, you know, the lights of Leatherneck, fade. they fade out. Yep. And then it just went to that ambient light from the moon only. And I remember looking out across all that. And I was trying to, I was trying to keep a cool head. I was trying to keep a clear mind. I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm I got some breathing exercises. I'm just trying to keep myself, you know, that deep, you know, in get tons of oxygen. Don't freak out. And like you said, you know, I've been in combat before, but nothing like what this was supposed to be. And I was wondering the same thing. Like, don't, don't slip don't slip. You're good. You know, giving myself that positive reinforcement talk. And as I'm doing that, I'm just kind of looking out of the back of the, out of the back of the chopper. And I, you know, I could see millions more stars mm-hmm. and the stars over there were beautiful. And then you look out and it's desert that runs up into a mountain range. And for a minute, it's like, this could be a beautiful place. Right. Like yep. this could be, this could be so much different than what it is. And, <clears throat> um, and then, you know, I was snapped out of it. Two minutes, you know, the Thomas were coming down to the deck. And I'm like, okay, baby, it's time, go time. It's time to punch that clock, right? And um, 30 seconds, you know, 30 seconds goes up. Everybody's nods come down. And then uh, <laughs> the gate starts to drop. Mm-hmm. We're down on the ground. Time for me starts to slow down. And as I'm looking out the back, I, I got rights flat. And we had practiced these on-off drills yep. for days. Yep. Everybody knew their spot. Everybody knew it was going to happen. And as soon as he stepped out, I come out with him. And you know those, was it 47, 53, 47? 47. The 47s have like a 20-inch gap for that tailgate. And I remember, you know, not thinking about it. And it went down a little bit awkward. And I ran right into the back of right. And I'm like, big whiskey. in my head, I'm thinking, he's not supposed to be here. Yeah. He was supposed to peel right. Uh, and then, you know, and then I realized, like, I'm shin, almost three-quarters of my shin deep in mud. And now I got guys hitting me in the back and I can't move. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, somehow me and Wright like dive out of the way. And then, the, you know, the rest of the 50 man chop comes out <laughs> all in the same spot. And I was um, third or fourth off the ramp. And yeah, I was right there with you getting basically plastered into the mud. Oh man, bad times. And then you like, I seen the debris flying before I made the step. And I'm like, what is that? And then I stepped and then everything's wet. Everything's mud. And here we had landed square in the middle of a flooded poppy field. Um, thanks, pilots. 
and and uh, and it started out bad. Everybody's coming out. Everybody's a big mess. I think once the uh, chopper started to pull away, I look up and I'm looking at the chopper pulling away, and there's a technical vehicle somewhere to the north and ripping up. You see the red tracers flying through the air. I'm like, okay, well, it's not a dry hole. Uh, now we need to get clean. Um, and, then, and then also we had an AC-130 gunship circling and they were dropping 55-gallon uh, canisters of IR loom that would light up like a 700 by 700, like almost a square click. It would light it up. So everything was now light. Everything you could see in the nods. And uh, I'd really like to get your perspective on that, on that infill. So... The bird ride, um, I didn't look out back. I was I was at the back of the bird. Um, in my head, I just, I didn't want to, I never got that experience of how dark it was as you see the stars. I just remember being like, I'm coming home, but I don't want to know landmarkers. I, in my head, we were going to go out and come back the same way. I didn't want to be able to spot anything because I didn't want that excitement of coming back. Like, we're almost home, we're almost home, we're almost home, but my adrenaline was going, so would I over-exaggerate it? So I remember just sitting in my seat with my rifle. And then I remember at some point in the air, like I stopped hearing the propellers. It got silent and I just took the time to kind of look around. I don't remember seeing a scared face. You know, we were nervous, but it was like a weird call. Everyone was just kind of chilling. Like, hey, I got time to breathe. I got time to relax. I got time to just think about the orders, you know, um, two minutes in, 30 seconds in, whatever. Drop your MVGs, put them down. I wasn't going to use them. MG sucks, man. You know, I'm going to keep my eyes open, but time to drop. I go out the back, and I look down, and I'm like, I'm looking at my good eye. This fucking ground don't look right. Look like it was moving. <laughs> but not like a normal bird way where, like, it would shoo things away, and then it was just like you could see things that fly. It was, I was seeing this, so I was like, oh, let me check my MGs. MGs made it look worse. I was like, what is going on? So... Looking through my MGs, I look left, and from what I could see, where the ripple stopped, it looked like a solid platform to land on. So I jump, and no sooner do I jump, all of a sudden I'm like, <clears throat> my backpack. Right? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? <clears throat> I can't figure out. I'm getting scared now. Right? I was like, I'm, I'm hovering. My feet are just dangling. I can hear Mokolo behind me. Grimes, <laughs> what? He's like, why would you jump like that? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're caught on the gun. I'm like, I look back and legitimately, like one of the handles on, it's hanging off of the uh, the rear gun of the bird. <laughs> like, man, <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, and I and my I still don't know what's down there. Like, you guys are probably already out the bird. Like you said, you and Thess are jump. Like, you already know the suck. I don't know the suck yet, right? So he ends up like I could feel like it getting worse, and I guess Vicolo just pulled out his Bacolo strength and straight up picked my pack off the gun <laughs> and dropped me. Probably 120 pounds at that point. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's like no there's no like, hey, I'm gonna pick you up, bud. I'm gonna put you down. Like, we're gonna do this by the number. No, he lifted and I fell. And all I remember was like, I hit ground, I heard squish, and then pack right down on my shoulders. And I'm like about to fall. And then I'm like, it's like, what am I standing? I'm thinking it's a field full of poop. Like, <clears throat> We're in a country of farms. It was. Stuck there, freaking out. Everybody's jumping. Like, something's not right. <laughs> Still don't know what's going on. Should have been a simple get off the bird, hook left, link up with y'all. I'm like, yep. Nope. No, it was not. Stuck in the mud. There was no linking up whatsoever. No, <laughs> no. It, was, it was a gaggle. 
Yeah, the link up was uh, we were on about a 10 meter by 10 meter square stuck. Some guys were stuck. I mean, in Vicolo's case, why don't you talk about that? Um, you're off the bird, and then you wasn't it like you almost tripped over Vicolo? I stepped on him, right? But like, I didn't know Vicolo was in a bat, so I didn't see anything, dude. Like, the when you were down there, I don't know if you guys had, but like, the mud was being shot up from the propellers. Oh, yeah. like, we were falling, people were jumping. They were uh, bumping into each other. People were falling, tripping on each other. I'm like trying to keep my balance. And I remember I stepped back and it was hard. It wasn't like ground hard. Right? Like there was something. And I hear him gasping. He's like, who's help me? I was like, what the heck? And I'm trying to pull him up. And I remember when I pulled him, when I finally got his body to a point where it's like no more in the mud, that's when you heard that suction sound. Yeah, <laughs> and you can hear the air finally getting under him so he can get up. And I don't know. I mean, we talked about it. Had I, like, if nobody would have stepped in, he was face first. Like, it's not like he was on his, I was on my back once we all were back. Well, when I, like, when I fell back, I fell back on my back. I had to pull the pack out of the mud, you know. He, I don't know if he fell forward or he got stuck and the next guy bumped into him, but right. he was face down. I'm like, and then I was just like, let's get up and go. I remember hearing you, and like, we gotta go. Like, let's go get out of there. You know, you guys were good. Not everybody was good, but. I was not good. Well, I mean, I think after, like, all is said and done, half, at least half of our weapons were ineffective. Yeah, just not gonna fire until we in the get dark. some water in them. And yeah, it's pitch black out. And then we, um, yeah, as we started getting people out of the, I don't know if you, Heard the call go out about the enemy element moving our position, uh-huh. but that's a um, cool read, though. Yeah, stuff got real hot real quick. Yeah, we yeah. got uh, our our uh, arrows radio clacked, and it was the AC one thirty that was circling, and they advised us two two. You got enemy element moving on you from the north. He said they're moving hay bale to hay bale, and I remember looking to the north and seeing the big round hay bales, and sure enough, it was just like little rats scattered in the dark coming right at us. And I thought, oh my God, here we go, boys. And being that half of our weapons are ineffective at this point, that's a desperate situation, right? And so, you know, got with Bacchus, right? Staff Sergeant, and uh, they called in a, uh, I believe they called in a Cobra Cobra section and they were going to bring them right down on these guys and we weren't going to have to fire around, which is comforting. And uh, so the choppers pushed from the IP holding <laughs> zone and um and before they're cleared hot i look out over the field and i see a firefly blinking on one of their chests infrared firefly and we had given infrared fireflies to the uh a and a that were going to support us and they were supposed to link up with us and that is not where they were supposed to be coming from and they were supposed to have their ir fireflies on when they boarded the bird right and so you know the abort goes out the choppers go overhead like a movie and we averted a international crisis in hour number one. Fratricide. Do you remember going Bad back times. there and realizing, like, if most of those birds would have went, God, five feet in any No, just other... our bird, because everybody else is doing it. Well, our bird, if, if, we it, were... if it would have went five feet in any other direction, yeah. it would have it been smooth. Yeah, fact. Fact. And and really, from, from where we landed, where our little mud hole was, you literally had to go... 20 feet in any direction and you were on hard dry land and um i mean we had guys even you uh matt 
you had your pants damn near ripped off completely from yeah. from like you know the crotch down was wide open to your boot blouses because you were digging so hard to get out of there right because right. it was it was wet and you sank in it but it was hard at the same time because you were just struggling to get, try and find that that foothold that would push you out yeah. of course weighing what did we say 350 pounds a lot on the seams yeah a lot on the seams and Vicolo same and it was way. Frog, it was frogs too. It was frogs, not cams, which so. were always bad for ripping anyway. Yep. But Vicolo was the same in the same situation. I mean, he had his from his crotch to his ankles was ripped, uh, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of guys like that. And now you're cold, miserable, miserable. Not your textbook, miserable. not not your textbook uh, insert, as it were. When I was still in the mud, I was so angry. That that was the way that this was going down. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, if this is how it's going to start, how's it going to end? You know, it wasn't pleasant at all. And then like your anger just intensifies the next day when you see everybody else and they have like these crisp, clean, sweaty but clean, dry, cami, you know, frog suits on, and you're like, hmm, "How'd your landing go?" And they look at you and they're like, "How'd your landing go?" <laughs> so, so sorry, it was a little, bro. It was a little bit concerning that but yeah so that can't takes fault that them out. for that just just the chopper pilots that's the way it could crumble sometimes <laughs> the way it crumbles yeah. and so we get out of the mud hole we avert killing our support a and a in the first 10 minutes and then um make our way to the foothold so the very next part is we got to get to our foothold building because we were tasked with overwatching um franco's platoon as he cleared shinny wall yeah <clears throat> and then neff Lieutenant Neff would have been out past them and we would link up with them as well. But our initial task to set conditions to clear Shinny Wall was to take a, a couple of buildings and a small stretch of buildings just on the north side of Route 608, uh, which was the main supply route coming into the in, into northern Marja. And then we were to hold and overwatch the little city of Shinny Wall, which was just a couple hundred meters on the other side of, the, of 608. And um, our foothold building was right next to a massive land bridge uh, for that MSR that went over a massive canal, like, you know, I don't know, eight, 10 feet deep, not, not something you could traverse with the gear on, like you needed a bridge for trucks or you needed to use that land bridge to walk across, you know. And so getting back to, okay, now we're out of the mud. So building that up, now we, can, now we need to make movement to our objective building so that we can set conditions for first platoon to clear. So Grimes, why don't you give me your perspective coming out of the mud and now working to the foothold? Uh, I hated that walk. Because um, like you said, it wasn't far. It felt like forever. And I just remember being in whatever staggered line we were in. There was like two of them walking. I don't remember who was throwing on. I remember seeing all the chem lights on the ground. And I just remember thinking like, I'm not far from it. I, I had to guess two, three feet to my right. And just like peeked over. I could see the line. I mean, so we had a we had a long line of people. I just remember thinking, like, if I take one wrong I mean, we didn't know, obviously it was just mine sweet, but they hit it and whoever was dropping were dropping it. And I remember thinking like at that time I was like, if I take one wrong step, I'm going up in the air real quick. Or if you slip, or if, or if I or slip, if the yeah, path breaks away because I mean it's all in a pocket. And, and I'm cold. I'm miserable. I had to rip pants in myself. Like you had the cold breeze going into them, so like my whole body was chilling down. I just remember just like I ended up looking at the pack in front of me. MVGs were shot. And my face was covered in mud. I knew my gun was covered in mud. 
my pack was covered in I was like if I go out, I'm done. Like if they shoot at us, I'm useless. Nothing's coming out. I, I I think when we were cleaning weapons after that, like I was the There's whole barrel is just muddy. There is a picture. Whole barrel is just muddy. And I just remember I'm like, I'm just gonna look at the guy's pack in front of me and I'm gonna hope he stays straight. Yeah. And then when we cleared it, you know, retrospective wasn't that far. But no, that but it feels whole, like it was. What was it? Forty minutes? Forty minutes or something like that? It took from the time that we got off the birds to where we were supposed to go. Like I remember thinking we were there for hours. It, and, it felt like hours. And I, I think it may be a little. I, it was a little longer than an hour, but and that was probably almost, not much. I no, mean, we were out there. We scattered. The birds came in. The birds aborted. We didn't even wait for the ANA. Because remember, we went back out after them to, to link back up with them under daylight yes. hours. But uh, you figure we left at 2.30, probably didn't get there till or got to the tarmac 2.30, 3.30. We're probably touching down 3.15, 3.30. So by 4.30, we're edging up to walking the line. And, and, and when he talks about the chem lights, you know, we put the chem lights down because we have nods. And so they're infrared chem lights. Nobody else is seeing them. We're not giving away our position, but we're letting people know every place that one of the minesweepers had hit a tone. And we learned, you know, within an hour of the first morning that in this country, there's metal everywhere, 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 everywhere you put it, you know, a mine, a minesweeper, it was dinging. Half of the bridges, you know, were constructed with wood mixed with metal. So all of your bridges would, there was a wood BID and like that became, we got over that real fast. Oh yeah. And it was like, I think everybody just kind of accepted the fact that, well, you know what? It's full of metal. The metal detectors aren't working. Watch where you step. Follow the guy in front of you. Um, you know, and that was only when you're running in a ranger file. So when you're not running in a ranger file, you're, you know, every step you take over there could be your last step. So, and, that, and that's a lot to think about. The other thing is there was technical vehicles firing at our chopper. So we knew there was enemy out here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you can only do this so long before you have to say, okay, well, you know, now we have to move. Yep. Uh, regardless of what we're walking through, and I think for the first few days on the ground, we didn't we didn't echelon in anything other than a ranger file. I can't remember there was no tactical column even when we pushed, which we're going to get to. But even when we pushed from the uh, target building across Med Objective One and then to the company CP ranger file, well, because under the cover of darkness, yeah, true, yeah, uh, we never did that during daylight hours. I don't think ever. And thinking back, we could have because then there were less of us. That, well, well, I mean, that's why we did it at yeah. night because you got less dispersion. You you're in one line. Yeah. You know, you there's less chance of one column uh, being, you know, mowed down and grazing or, fire from an enemy machine gun. I or, mean, uh, deviating from the patrol <clears throat> if you lose contact, I lose a uh, sight contact because especially in the tree line sometimes. Which we're gonna get in all this. And we'll later get into that. But, but yeah, I mean, we owned the night at the time. <clears throat> we didn't get taken. You know, nothing happened the first the first uh, several several hours of darkness and then you know that call of prayer went up after we were already in our foothold and uh setting up our overwatch for shinny wall and um and things things escalated quickly let's say to say the least um so we're in the foothold building and, and as you look you know out towards shinny wall which is where the, our sister platoon is about to go through and do you know an initial clear into there it's open desert, open desert, open desert, open desert, and then Shinny Wall. And Shinny Wall was, we knew about it. We had 
We had we had them run TDGs on Shinny Wall on protecting the MSR, making sure they couldn't run reinforcements into the back of Franco's platoon. Um, and that was really our job was to seal that backside off. But also about Shinny Wall, um, the whole open 250, 300 meters uh, in our initial brief at Leatherneck from the powers that be that shaped and probed and took the images uh, suggested that it used to be a very busy market and that now all of a sudden it was a ghost land and that they had seen people out there doing what they thought was nefarious activities and they had warned us that it was probably um, a field laid, laid in, a minefield basically, an ID field uh, was what the intelligence was that we got. And so I, it takes me back because I remember specifically when we were back at Dwyer and we were kind of, everything was getting planned. You know, LT had gotten his order and now he was planning his own order, right? And we had to slap the table and some stuff and not because we had to, but because he wanted to, to bring his guys in and, and get a feel for where we were. Right. And I always appreciated that about him because, you know, I had leaders prior to this in other units who um, what they said was what was going and they knew best and they're not going to consult, you know, the, the 12 to 20 years worth of squad and team leaders and platoon sergeants that they have before they're going to make a, you know, a, um, a decision that involves all of their lives and their men's lives. And LT didn't do that. LT, when there was something critical, when there was something that was um, something that was contentious, like uh, maybe we should do it this way and other people are thinking we should do it a different way. And so I just remember Black Gear squawking and him telling squad leaders, get up the tent, you know, to the command tent where him and staff sergeant were at. And when we came in, you know, he had a map laid out and we went over it. And he was like, hey, so, you know, we have two COAs. I've, I, 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 I've, you know, I've narrowed it down to two COAs and I want to know where everybody stands. It's a course of action. Course of action. Yep. Two course of action. And he wanted to know where everybody stood. And so COA one was that 608 being the road that had the, the, the deep canal and the one land bridge right next to the foothold building. Um, COA one was to run that south to the next land bridge and cross and then come up from the south into Shinny Wall. And then COA 2 was just to go ahead and cross that land bridge and run the IED field with metal detectors. It would have took less time. And uh, one of the big points that I was making is with that 12-foot deep wadi flanking the road, if we walked south, you know, you take contact from any one of those string of buildings, you can't move that way. Like as a, And then if you get scared and move that way and somebody does, you're going in with a 100-pound kit on to the yeah. bottom of that wadi. You're sinking. And uh, that, really, that really geeked me out. Um, you know, so the wadi was on one side and then you had buildings right on the road all the way down that were unknown to us completely there. Nobody had ever been in them. Nobody was going to be in them, you know, friendly as far as we could, we were concerned. And so it became a thing. And we went around the table. We talked about the pros and cons of co one. We talked about the pros and cons of co two. I remember specifically me and, uh, myself and JT wanted, wanted to go through the minefield. We, we felt like it was safer to take our chances in the IED field than to be flanked by a wadi and unknown houses all the way down for 200 meters. And uh, LT agreed. I think Hein was a little hesitant. He liked the idea of taking the road down and and not risking it with the IEDs. Right, especially dead and dark. Uh, you know, in, in, the, in the black, yeah. And so, um, you know, and he took everybody in. You know, we get, it was that locked in, everybody's locked in look. And it was like, you know, Sergeant Hein, what do you think? Sergeant Rogers. Make your case. JT, make your case. Staff's on. And so we ultimately ended up slapping the table with the minefield. 
Um, and, and really, a lot of times in a command position in war, you're faced with decisions, right? And you got to make choices. And a lot of times your choices are between two bad, bad options. I was just getting ready to say something. Two like bad that. options. Yep. And, and you got to talk about it and say, well, this one's bad for this, this, and this. This is how we can mitigate those things. Yep. And this one's bad for this, this, and this. And this is how we can or cannot mitigate those things. And then you got to, you know, weigh all your options, weigh the situation, weigh the scenario, whatever you got in front of you. And then everybody's got to decide, okay, we're going to go with this one. And then you got to go with that one all the way, or at least until you have to adapt off of it. And so, and so that's what we did. We posted up right in that uh, Overwatch building. And, uh, and then the call to prayer went up. The sun was high in the sky and we were overwatching Shinny Wall. And uh, I believe at that time I was getting, I got called out because we were going to launch an APOB shot or set an APOB shot up. And APOB is a anti-personnel obstacle clearing breaching device. Mm -hmm. So it's a yes. dual backpack rocket system that shoots like a tether rope out of hundred and some odd M67 uh, frag grenades. And it's, it's to clear obstacles out of your way, obviously obstacle breaching system. So if you had an ID, let's say, in plain sight, laying on the land bridge that you intended to cross, which is exactly what we came up to. It was a command wire running into one of the buildings that we were afraid of on the left that we or on the right of the road that we were just talking about. And, you know, that's just the one we could see. Right. And, and we'd already said probably a decoy and probably was a decoy. And we'd already said that, you know, we're taking the land bridge. And that's why we had a pops because we can blow a, you know, a three meter path. And hopefully, you know, if you got secondaries, it's going to sympathetically detonate. Right. And um, so I remember setting the APOB shot up that day. And when we first took the backpacks out, the APOB shot was for the future. It was like, we'll blow this when we're ready to go. Not let's just blow it now and sit. And so we were setting the backpacks up when the, when the gunfire started. And at first it was just like two or three, you know, one or two little burst. And then it really started to pick up, 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 up and, and they were on us. So do you remember... You was know, that, you, know, you remember where your thoughts were about that? <clears throat> was that the one to see over the 608? Yeah, day one, first shots of the entire of the entire push. I didn't shoot back. Well, and and well, because you didn't see him probably. Yeah, and to be to. to be fair, I didn't know I was being shot at. Right. The rounds weren't close. I, I've told my mom before, like if they were gonna kill me, it wasn't because they were a good shot. And I remember I didn't even hear the like whistle or the snap, right? Like I could hear like a whizzing sound, but like, hey, I'm a boot. I don't know. I never been shot, but I remember sitting on a wall. So I remember staff starting yelling at us. Um, we're just kind of sitting there, we're hearing stuff. I've heard the pop shots from wherever they were coming from over there. The other people that were fighting where we were, but so I was like, "What are y'all doing?" I'm watching this stuff. So right, we're all watching this. He's like, you know, you're being shot at, right? And I'm like, where? You know, and he's like, shoot back. And I'm like, what? where am I shooting at? Yeah. Like, well, there was a lot of that. They had a lot of greenage up along the canals, and they would run them like rat lines, you know, at the time. Because they could, because they were lighter. And, uh, and yeah, so, yeah, they could hide. And then, you know, take the take the foliage away and they would knock cat holes out like one by one cat holes that they could fit a barrel and see their scope through one foot by one foot and lay into you from walls from 200 300 meters and you're not seeing that right and so it became it, it became a very hard thing to 
to positively identify these guys just from the onset. They were good. And um, where you were on that compound, I mean, I, I can't go back to it in my head to think about exactly what corner you were on, where you went. But I know at the time I was out there with the engineers and they were setting up the APOBs and those shots rang out. And I remember John Semmering was with me. Yep. And I grabbed him because we were like the detail that was protecting the engineers or, or whatever, you know, just pushing out with them as a security element. And I remember instantly it was like, get back to my squad's compound, which was to the right of where LT and JT and Hind were. And we had taken two compounds over right there. I remember coming through that courtyard and it's like, I knew the, I knew the gunfire was coming from the North mm. and I'm running to the North wall and there just happened to be like this perfect stack of poppy stems dried up that led up picture it right now yeah that yep. led up to like a stack of poppy stems there's like the perfect firing platform to stand straight up and your gun would rest perfectly on the mud hut wall on the courtyard wall and i said simmering with me and i ran right up those poppy stacks and that would have been the that would have been the northeast corner of the building and i, I you know i put my gun up and i'm scanning because like you said couldn't see anybody yeah and uh, then I caught a flicker out of my eye to the left and I turn over and in that tree line that ran straight away from us north, um, I seen two guys, um, one with uh, what looked to be an RPK and the other with a you know, Soviet block AK of some kind, you know, he was running and I just knew instantly that that's where it came from. Boom, they're right there and uh, they're turning back to look at us and now they know that they're they've been identified and now they're trying to get back. I follow that up to the North and you see a building full of, you know, guys all wearing black man jams on top of the roof. And I'm like, okay, we're in a shitty situation right now, <laughs> you know, and gunfire is still going off because these weren't the only guys. These are just guys that and we're know, not the only ones being engaged at this point. Right. This, this is just the guys that are engaging us. I mean, the, the entire battle space erupted. I mean, you could hear gun runs going down <laughs> for harms and, um, and Franco's guys, right. I think they were dropping bombs. And Lieutenant Neff was in a gunfight behind us with his guys. And it was just, it was crazy. Everything, they were just like, hey, you ready to hit the Marines? They, they have All right, one, two, three. Yeah, and they hit us. And um, I remember getting up on that platform and following those guys up. And I'm like, I've decided, yes, you're bad now. And now I'm going to, now I'm going to engage you. And so I put my RC, you know, I put myself up. I get into my site. And I thought they were about 300. Yeah, I thought they were about 300. So, you know, I, I dope in at 300 and I let a rip go and uh, like two rounds, pop, pop, little, little rapid, you know, little rapid fire, two, two, two nice pair. And I watch him dive into the dirt, right at his feet. And like he looks and instantly brought it up to four, pop, pop. And it came right into him. I didn't get him with both of them. Shouldn't be shooting control pairs at that range, but yeah. I gave him a couple, a couple just to make sure. And uh, I remember seeing it pop, 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 and I remember seeing his hip swing like it must have caught a girdle or something. And uh, he went down, and I remember him grabbing for his gun. And as he grabbed for his gun, I plugged him, pop, pop, pop. And then he went down, and the guy beside him just kind of, you know, suppression is putting the guy's buddies down, not a mass volume of fire. It works the same, right? Right. Uh, or better. And so his buddy seen that, and then he grabbed his gun up and he's trying to run and simmering. And at the time, I had. Um, all of my mags, not all of them, but a good portion of them were like two to one tracer to not tracer so that I can mark targets. Right. I was supposed to be firing. I didn't even think I would be firing that much. And then that changed. But so instantly my guys in my squad, you know, and they already knew this, this was, this was 
standard operating procedure. They knew that I was going to mark with tracers. My team leaders would mark with tracers. That's a SOP throughout the Marine Corps. Yeah, everybody doesn't do it, though. It was not every one of my units. So it's a good one, though. So you guys out there, leaders out there leading Marines, understand that your, your weapon is your team, your weapon is your squad, and you need to direct those fires, you know, when you're closing on the enemy, and that is a good way you can do it. You know, load three to one or two to one tracers so that, you know, your squad, as soon as they see those tracers coming out, if they didn't hear the ad rack, if they didn't hear your your attention and, and you call out where, the, you know, where we're firing, if for some reason they didn't know, they see those rounds coming in hot, you know, going out hot and they know, hey, that's my tracers, boom, and they snap. And so that's what Simmering did. I plugged the first guy and Simmering followed those lines of tracers. I guess, and he got, you know, he got bid, and the next thing I know, he rips off like an eight-round burst, and it's a money shot, you know, and this guy folds, boom, he goes down, and uh, so then we turn our attention to the north, you know, to the eight guys, and I, I believe, it's, it's fuzzy for me, I know that they shot something at us, I don't know what it was. It was an RPG. Okay, I know they had mortar tubes back there, too. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that day the RPG is what come whizzing over the compound. Yep. And when the RPG is the one I wrote about. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. And <clears throat> when it came in, I was not out there with you. I was pointing the other way towards okay. shooting wall. Um, or I was just kind of roving the post kind of deal. Mm -hmm. um, someone yelled RPG. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And Ooh. the ANA RPG gunner. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. The RPG, the RPG, the the Taliban shot went straight over the compound. I don't even know where it landed. Where no danger, right? <laughs> he hears someone yell RPG. He doesn't even ask where the where to target it at. He just picks his up and he fires a random one straight out the compound in the way in the point, you know, the direction that the enemy that. might be pointing. Oh my and god! And there was no backblast. All area nope. all clear, and he had a. A wall right behind him. And I thought at first that the RPG actually did land in our compound, but it was his back blast going off because he was that hot on that that RPG. Right. So we got seven laps out of that one. At <coughs> least. No, I think uh, one cat life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the RPG. I'm pretty sure that's when the earmuffs hit Scotty in his back blast, isn't it? Scotty Davis. Mm, uh, there was a point too. where where Scott got hit with his back blast, where he just like let go of his weapon and everything, <laughs> and he was so rocked. <laughs> And we were like, everything was so shitty anyway, and he wasn't laughing anymore. And I was like, oh my God. And I don't even remember what he said. He might have thrown his M4. I don't know what he did, but he, like, he hit, and he just, I, maybe he thought he was in Elysium. And he was like, okay, it's, it's over. But uh, he was he was upset about it. And I actually took a back blast from Earmuffs. Um, oh, yeah, he was crazy with that RPG. Yeah, this guy, we called him Earmuffs because, well, it was cold, so you never really knew why, but I think he thought that the earmuffs, literally cloth, camouflage earmuffs, not Palcons, no. not uh, not 3Ms, earmuffs. Uh, that's why we called him that, but I'm pretty sure he thought those earmuffs kept his ears safe from the RPG. Yeah, I think so, too. Because he even wore them once it started getting hot. And, um, yeah. and that was weird, so we called him Earmuffs, and anytime... He was with us, like the you, you had to keep your eye on him, like because you don't yell RPG when an RPG's coming in because he's gonna blast one. If off. you yell RPG, that he thinks that is his his cue to fire. He thinks that's his command. Yeah. Oh, really? Boom. Yep. And um, yeah. Once again, cultural divide, lack of training, lack of situational awareness. Um, so we do agree. Checking the back blast area is super important. Very important, <laughs> and, and especially if you're the guy in the back blast area. Yeah. You know, when somebody says, "Hey," 
black back blast area all secured. And if you're back there, chances are you got about three to five seconds because if he doesn't see you, you're not supposed to be there anyway. It's your job to get out of it. So it's very important. We're gonna talk about that. We very, are gonna talk. Very about important that. to get out of a back blast area. So and all of us, like I don't know about everybody individually in the squad, but I know that the three people sitting here got back blasted. By, you got back blasted, didn't you? Uh, first law rocket on day four. Yeah. Day three, day four. Let me shut that. I back blasted you? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I turned around the corner of the little building. Hey, listen. So you're two for two. <laughs> when we are in combat and um, when we're in combat and we're not on a training range and I don't have, you know, to walk and hold your hand and let you know where you're going to be. I assume that the implicit communication and then the <laughs> verbal communication of I'm about to shoot this rocket would suffice as to don't stand behind it. So um, the, the, and sometimes there was rounds coming down <laughs> in, in very high volumes. And it wasn't like I had the time to turn around and make sure that you guys were out of my way. Oh, um, and that's I, my fault as a leader. But, you know, that's where it comes from. I'm not going to say I took it maybe like Grimes did, but... Uh... I, I peeked around the corner and I heard back blast aerial secure and I was staring basically directly down the back end of that law rock. And I was like, I think I'm going to go ahead and roll this way. Yeah. And, but as I was doing that, you clacked it off and I was rolling around the corner and it felt like the entire building on the side of me went away, but it didn't, it didn't. So yeah. I was going to say what's <laughs> depressing about it is as bad as the back blast hurt and as money as the, all those shots were, they didn't do anything. Right. There's yeah. mud huts, man. It's insane. It's insane the amount of um, abuse they can take. And and then the dust settles and they fire back out of it. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, that country's definitely built for war. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, thousands of years of that. And people right. said, yeah, that stucco and that drywall, that's for the birds. Right. Y'all die over here. You yep. got three foot walls, thick, crazy, crazy. So, <laughs> so here we are. Getting some day one, we talked about your infill, our infill, but your pers- your perspective of the infill, and then um, so we have that firefight, and that firefight goes down. We drop two enemy. Uh, I believe at some point we called in air, and air dropped a five hundred pound bomb on on another building and reduced another threat. And we fought throughout the afternoon, and sometimes it was sporadic. Sometimes you could tell they were trying to get the angle. They were reconsolidating, maybe picking up their weapons, whatever the case. And a lot of times, and we'll talk about this more, and I really deal, detail this in the book, and this is a good lesson learned um, that I had not learned prior to this fifth deployment of mine. But the Taliban in particular, I never seen Al-Qaeda in Iraq do this. I never seen, I never even heard of it, but the Taliban in Marsha, they would police their dead bodies police their dead people, police their, time police their, brass. police their weapons and police their brass. And if they had time, they would wash the, the blood stains off and bury them in the rest of the sand as to psychologically completely screw us up. And I will say this, it worked. Yep. There were several times where I plugged people or you plugged people or you plugged people or any of, you know, we got them down and we're watching them. They expire in the scope. And it's like, okay, we need to get up and get those weapons. Problem is we're 200 meters out or we're 150 meters out or whatever. And we got to get through the rest of these compounds or these canals or whatever. And then you get there, you get to the exact spot and it's wet. It's turned up. You don't find a piece of brass. You don't find a weapon. 
you don't find a body and you don't find a drop of blood and then you're just like psychologically fucked like i know i know for a fact and then you got to call in a bda and be like oh got no weapons got no bodies i killed seven people but i i don't know how to tell you that and prove it because and they would and remember in the beginning they would bring in those white vans like medevac vans and we wouldn't engage them because they put like something on them but they would that that went away quick yep they started coming in just to get their bodies and stuff, which was respected. And then after that, it became they came to drop bodies off to fight us. And um, anyway, I just I always thought it was amazing because somebody came up with that. Oh, yeah. Like this was not something that just a couple of them did. This happened our entire time there. And and I, I'm I'm telling you, there for me on that deployment, one of the most frustrating things was not being able to confirm, not being able to get their weapons not being able to get there quick enough, you know, and, uh, and there's a lot that goes into that, such as most of the Taliban had motorcycles, little mopeds and some way to move, move around quickly. And we're in a hundred pound kits on the, uh, on the LPCs. Yeah. And on the boots, I mean, we're not you know, moving fast because we don't know where the IEDs are. And do. That's the thing. You yep. can't move fast. So they know the entire terrain, like the back of their hand and where the booby traps are. And so they, they became very good at, you know, hitting us and bouncing, knowing that we were going to follow. And, you know, later on, we'll talk about some of the different tactics that they started to use as, as uh, time progressed to, to kind of catch catch guys up. And, and they're good tactics, but uh, we can get into that a little bit more later. Another quick perspective on <clears throat> day one combat-wise, especially from people that have had it and not me. I say it all the time, everybody laughs, but I remember during that firefight, I just kind of stopped. I looked around in my area, and I, it's still the funniest thing I've ever said. Like I was always comedic relief, but I remember screaming, like, Staff Sergeant, you fucking lied to me. <laughs> He's like, what? I was like, you said combat's not like the video games. I was like, we on a kill streak right now. We had, we had a gunship over here. We had helicopters all over the place. I was like, I'm pretty sure two fighter jets just gun run. Like, it's a video we, we hot. We in right? a video game. We, we in a video game. I don't know who I'm shooting at. I don't know where they're shooting at from. I'm being yelled things that even in the video games, I just let it go off the screen. I'm just trying to shoot stuff. I don't know what I'm shooting at, but I'm watching my kill streaks. They're all coming through. <laughs> I, I remember just stopping for a second, just like, I, I just told Ryan, I was like, it's one of the beautiful things to be a part of. But like, it's dangerous, but at the same time, it's like, when people are like, it's not a video game. Like, it's you get where the video games come from. You get it, uh, dude. And they're good. They're good. Like the graphics nowadays, pretty wild. And I just, I, I'll, I'll never forget I, I can, that. I can relate to you though, because and, and and so let's let's zoom out a little bit and change the scope and think about. Let's think about the small percentage of. I'm not even just going to say Marines. I'm going to say servicemen to include the SEALs to include MARSOC. It's a very small percentage of people that yep. even get to look up and witness all of America's resolve. Just this side of a CAD mission, we've seen everything. Right, and I it was mean, all at once too. It's not. I like, mean, and, and, and yeah, yes. I mean, especially and and it's amazing. I get cold chills thinking about it because when we went there, we had air stacked up every five thousand feet. Yep. We had high Mars rockets. We had. Excalibur, uh, Excalibur artillery rounds. We had, you know, ravens and drones and all this high tech and everything coming in to support us at one time. 
and I have never been in that position in my entire career. And you I've never waited long. I mean, if you called in, that's what I'm scared, saying. They were already circling. They were, and or they were all just already there. Like that's why I took it in. I just remember, like, I it was stopped. insane. It was I, insane. I stopped and I was looking. I'm like, some crazy. I said, is that a gunship? And for whatever reason, I just thought of Call of Duty. So I remember how hard it is to pick that up. Here I am. I, I don't know how many people I killed at this point. Like, and that's why I brought it up. Because I just remember being like, you needed like 15 to 20 kills in Call of Duty to get that thing. I'm like, if you're I think as an element, we achieved that. Oh, absolutely. Time. But just on a single man's perspective, you know, I'm looking at it. I was like, yep. And then you hear like the, you know, heavier guns and you look left. and Helicopter. Look right. Helicopter. Behind me, you hear the and gurt, gurt, right, and you're like, eighteen warthog gun run. You're like gun run. We hot now. I got to stop you right there because a gun run in combat by an A ten warthog <laughs> is maybe the single most brilliant display of firepower from the air that I have ever seen. Closely seconded by the high mar rockets coming. That was now. Too. The reason I say that, I mean, this is a machine gun. For those of you who don't know, this is a, a machine gun with several barrels that they built a plane around. around. Okay. It is a large machine gun with wings. And when this, just like the video games, the old movies you watch, and that's what's crazy about it. I remember having the same exact, um, almost like all shaken moment, like you're talking about the first, second, third, and 40th time I seen gun runs come down from A-10s because it was a aircraft that I never thought I would serve on the battlefield with. It was just like the machine gun bunkers. I never thought that we would see machine gun bunkers. Right. Like I knew it was going to be hard. I figured they'd fight us from the compounds. A lot like Iraq. Shoot and move. Nope. Nope. They dug their heels in like the stories of Fallujah. They set up booby traps and they waited for us to come. They came there to die. And it, they, they, yeah, absolutely. A lot of them a lot of them said, this is it. We're going to do we it. We obliged. Up. And it's funny you say that. I talked to Matt today about it. I don't remember where in the deployments was. So I'm following up with you. But <coughs> like I said, they were behind me. So you got to see that. I remember later on in the deployment, <coughs> one was called in. And Matt had taught me call for fire and stuff because he went to the course before we deployed. And he was next to me. He nudged me. He's like, you, you about to see yours, dog. And I was like, what? He's like, we called one in. And I'm like, I got to see it from the start, right? We was in a little bit of a lull. We was, uh, they kind of calmed down or they were shooting that on one of our sides. And Matt's like, there it is. Cause he had seen one A and training and B, he saw the other ones. Mm. I look and I'm like, what? You can see a little speck, right? I'm getting excited. I'm like, yeah, buddy. I watched it drop. I watched the ground blow and then I watched it leave and I kind of get upset, right? Cause I was like, what was the noise? And then it happened. And Matt's just smiling. He's hearing me. I'm like, where's the noise? It's like, that was kind of. No, and he's laughing, and all of a sudden, and then you hear the afterburners and stuff oh, yeah. as it comes across. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know, so it, was, it really is one of the coolest things you'll ever see, ever. Oh, definitely. And and what the afterburners—I forgot to mention that. But when that thing actually goes into its dive and it comes down, it sounds like the plane shuts off. I've never flown one, so I don't know. But what I do know is, as it's diving, when that gun goes. You can like see it slowing the descent of the plane because it's got so much recoil pushing back on that aircraft. And then, you know, afterburners come on and they do like a nice bank. And as they're banking, you know, 20 flares come out of each side. Mm -hmm. And it's just beautiful. Like you said, it's just an awe inspiring. It's like, oh my God, that 
just did happened. I just witness that? That, like, <laughs> that just happened. And uh, and it happened a lot there. And, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, that's got to be one of the most terrifying planes to come down on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're hearing that instantly. Um, maybe not the plane, but they're definitely hearing everything that's falling on them instantly. Definitely. And you just got to see that thing coming like, uh, I mean, I couldn't imagine seeing no. an A-10 dive on me. Like, oh. I was mesmerized watching it. And like, I'm not the one being targeted. And I'm like. Oh, man. You know, and, 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 and it's that right sound in. too. It's yeah. that hurt, hurt that it just rumbles the entire battle space. And it's a lot like the the gal on the bottom of the Cobras. Yeah. Uh, because we had those supporting us too at very, very close range. And nothing sounds like it. There's not a single anything with Oh, a, it's paralyzing the first time you hear yeah. it, especially if you don't know where it's coming from. And like, you don't know anything about birds like that, oh flames. You, it's, there's nothing like it. I always like the release of a hellfire. It just gave me a little smile and a little, it's a little warm of, and fuzzy in my in my stomach. Very distinct sound mm-hmm. when that rocket detaches and from the, the drone. Second. Right. Or the Cobra. Love it. Or the Cobra. Love it. Okay, so now we're to the APOP shot. It's mm-hmm. um, The sun is falling. We fought all day. We're all smoked. And we get the command to get back out there and set the APOP shot up. We know there's one IED. We think there's two. Um, I believe LT and another element looped around the front door of where the command wire was running into. And there was nothing in the compound but a chair, a battery, and a wire. And so whoever that trigger man was, probably when them birds started to descend in the poppy fields behind him, he's like, no way, no, dude. Sir. I don't know what that is, but they didn't say that in teaching. <laughs> That's probably what that poppy stack was made for. That you were Like a guard post? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it probably it, was. It looked out over our LZ. And it looked like it. a guard post. Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't want to shoot at 37 helicopters landing in their backyard, you mm-hmm. know, and I wouldn't either. I if, mean. If someone would have been there, though. It's time to grow gorilla at that point. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> time to go gorilla. Um, and they did. You know, they did. And so sun's setting. LT hits me up. Go, so I'm riding. <laughs> let's get back out on that APOP. We're about to move. So I tell my squad, you know, let's roll it up, boys. Roll it up and let's prepare to step. I think Ronji moved up by LT. Yeah, because I think when the purpose was after you guys blew it, because I was still with you, you took most of the squad with you. And I was to stay back out of the rest when we got to go ahead. Um, I went up on the stack. And you're right. When you describe how you put that weapon down, that was like the one time I got to relax my arms and just rest it there. And oh, yeah. When I'm watching, I was like, oh, I want to see this. Put my little MBGs down. Um, that 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 still scared me to this day, man. I remember I watched it. I could see everything. I was like, I need to know where you were because that's who I was linking up on. I watched you go in. And the big thing was we were the first in the order of movement. That's yeah. why I took out a good portion of the squad. I think I left your team back. And then you would just link up and tail end, and yep. then we would range your file yep. across the minefield. <clears throat> the IED field. So, so I see you set it up, and LT comes up. LT motivated, always, you know, high doing grinds, you know, we're, we're, we're cutting it a little bit, but I'm more focused on watching, you know. No offense, LT, but, you know, it got serious. You were in the zone. I was in the zone. And then I remember, I remember there was a point when you, you basically told me we were setting ready, and... He gave you the go-ahead and remember watching. Like you said, the way they launch, I don't even think I can describe it, but watching the, you can see the trail of, oh yeah, you know. It's like a white engineer tape attached yeah. to a rocket with a And it was cool to see, and I've never seen it, so, you know, you were hyped about it. So right. I wonder why were you hyped about it? I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. So I watched it, and all of a sudden, like, LT's looking at me, I'm looking at him, we're watching out, and they explode. 
And on the MVGs, the explosion looked a lot bigger, I guess, than what it was. But when I seen it through MVGs, it covered where you had planted everybody. Hmm. And I remember this cold silence, and I know LT saw the same thing I did because LT looked at me and like my heart dropped, and he didn't say a word to me. And you could tell like mentally we were both like our boys just wiped themselves out, or was the IED just exploded like bigger than we anticipated? And LT just like snapped back forward, and I remember he um, he grabbed his fucking handle and he gripped it, and I was like LT running, I'm running, like that's what it's gonna be. And then fun story with uh, Rogers here. You always knew how excited he was by how loud he was over that radio, right? He's like, hey, we good, sir? You know, getting all out, whatever you said to him. But all of a sudden, like, the grip loosened for LT. Yeah, I want to say, say honestly that, well, what you didn't know is that I had the entire security element spread out on the back side of the ditch. Yeah, you put that. And so we had cover. We had concealment. We had security to our back with the guys that were still in the footholds. Yep. And so our guys were good. Um, but I get what you're saying, and I know, I know that he didn't run out there. But I want to say that he was like, "Yo, Tom Rogers, good." <laughs> yeah, he. And my ears were gone, <laughs> and I had just seen a, an a pop go off, which is a very exciting thing for for me. And I'm like, "Yo, so we are yeah. good to go." I'm stepping. You know, we just woke up the night, so it ain't like there's any point in whispering. We just shook the ground for a square click. When when Rogers does something more than once, it's usually just, "Hey, we're good." You know push out, you know, move, or to do whatever the case was, this situation, boy, the excitement in his voice over the radio, he had fun. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest, ex- well, up until that point, it wasn't for mm-hmm. very long, but mm-hmm. uh, that was the biggest explosion next to the Micklick charges, or not the Micklick, the uh, Bangalore charges that you do in CACs. I don't know yeah. if you guys got an opportunity to do that. Uh, so. Bangalore's went off in CACs. I was on range 400 out in Cali. Uh, that's when I was in 3-2 doing a workup, and um I had never been around Bangalore's. I'm like, all right, cool. This should be cool. And the guy told me, he said, keep your eyes. He said, keep your mouth open and plug your ears. And I thought, and nobody ever told me that before something went off. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to heed, listen. I'm going to heed that advice. I put my, you know, cause we're in like a little ditch line of rocks and yep. you know, they got to blow this and breach this obstacle. So I got my hands on my ears and I was standing next to a rock that is like bigger than my house. Like it's a boulder. Right. Okay. It's a piece of earth. It's not even a rock, I guess, at this point. It's just a boulder. Huge, man. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know. Huge rock. Huge. 20 feet tall. It was a rock. And I could have <laughs> sworn when those dang Bangalores, when they went off, it was like that rock came up two feet off the ground. Like the entire earth came up and then settled back down. And I just remember that being the biggest explosion that I heard. And then that APOB went off. I was way closer to the APOB. So that has something to do, and it was scary, and it we sympathetically detonated two IEDs. Seriously close to that thing. Yeah. Seriously close. It rocked, like, too. Even from my, I remember when it went off, like, the concussion. Oh, yeah. like the, I remember, I, I guess it felt the same as rock. I thought I was kind of leaving the Like, it like, feels like you come up, and it's probably overpressure and a lot to do with it and the way everything looks when it displaces, you it know, was, but it feels like everything comes off the planet. Yeah. That thing was wild. Yeah, and so, yeah, so, boom, that goes off. We're good. We're moving. Um, and here's a little scary story, you know, maybe one from the book. Um, maybe one from the book. I'm running second in that Ranger file right behind Wetzel. And when I say right behind Wetzel, I mean, if he goes, I'm gone. Because yeah. I'm on his back with my M4 covering him as he's sweeping. Yeah. At this point, it's pitch black out, which was nice. There wasn't much ambient light that night. And 
you felt a little better. We could see we were under the impression, at least at that time, that absolutely they were not fighting us at night. And uh, but we were ready. It wasn't like a complacent thing. Well, so we as we're know if they were going to fight us at night. Well, yeah, we didn't sure. know if they were, but when the sun faded down, the fighting subsided. Yeah, it's so it's like okay, maybe, maybe not. And I know we weren't sure because as we we're going, I'm covering him for this whole 250 meter evolution, right on his, right on his ass, you know, holding. And I know we got like halfway, halfway through that evolution, maybe not even halfway, and we were moving, and I could feel, and it was dark. Remember, so even the the loom for our MBGs wasn't great that night. And I remember looking over and feeling like the presence of something. And as soon as I felt it, Wetzel felt it, and he froze. Boom. He locked in, and he didn't move. And I just, I don't remember how, how I did it. I think I just tapped him and eased my M4 up, and I said, I'm going white light. Stand by. Because you couldn't see anything. It was that dark. And um, boom, I flicked my floodlight on, and it's a mud pillar. And both of us are, like, ready to gun this mud <laughs> pillar down. Like, <gasps> we kind of laughed. You were scared. No, you were scared. You know? Sound right. And then we had to push. And so, and was, that was. You was both scared. Oh, we were both scared. We were both correct in saying that. <laughs> and so it was felt like forever. It was only a couple, you know, 300 meters, few hundred meters that we had to move, but it felt like forever because you were on that intensity level every single step. And I remember the sand was frosted over because it was so cold. And so there was no being quiet. Like you were crunching like hard ice at every step you took it, you know, times 50. Right. You know, or more because we had all of our attachments at that point. And so we're making our way, making our way. And then finally we link up with the CP. You know, we do our link up procedures and we come in. And I, I remember as I'm walking up, we're maybe 50 meters out and I could see those 240s posted up on the roof. And instantly I just had that ooh, warm and fuzzy like, all right, day one, I'm under the, I'm under cover of heavy guns. We're done. Good to go. We got to get, you know. Oh, and one thing we didn't mention is all those weapons that were dirty. By the grace of God, our foothold house had a water well. Yeah. Virtually none of them did. The house we chose happened to have one. And so as soon as everybody came in from the muddy fiasco waiting on the sun to come up, everybody was able to get clean weapons, like perfectly clean weapons, juiced up, moved up, ready to go. And and then by the time, obviously, the fighting started, we were banging. Everybody was banging. So that takes care of everything all the way up to the APOB shot. And, um, this is a fun thing that I always like to talk with, uh, Grimes about because when I first picked up the squad, I remember briefing you on my expectations brief. And then I gave you what you could expect from me. And what I told you was I will never lie to you. So don't ask a question that you don't want an honest answer from, but I'll always give you the option. And everybody would kind of snicker. Well, Grimes took that to heart. And he was the comedic relief of the of the squad for sure throughout, you know. The whole deployment. The entire deployment and then ever since then. But uh, he would always come up to me in bad situations and be like, yo, Sergeant, uh, we going to make it out of here? <laughs> okay. And I'd be like, Grimes, you want the truth or the lie? And he'd be like, lie to me, Sergeant. Always. And I'd be like, yeah, we're going to be good. You know what I mean? And he knew, I was, he, knew, he knew what I was saying. And it was just our way of breaking the ice. But. Uh, that night, if you would ask me, are we going to be all right? As soon as we were under those machine guns, I felt like we had a successful day. The squad meshed very well. Nobody froze. Nobody freaked out. Yeah. Everybody did their training. And I was like, we're going to be all right. Like, and and that kind of closed into day one. (laughs) 
which seems crazy because that was a crazy day one. It just that was took day us one. Almost two hours to debrief it. Yeah, you know? two hours to debrief. You know, six hours. Right. Yeah, that's it. it was it was an intense day. But one. that's three perspectives too. That's true. That's true. That's three different perspectives. Um, I want. I got some more questions for you on perspective. Okay. But it kind of fast forwards a little bit of things that. Um, things that happen. So this won't necessarily go chronological. There's a lot more in the book, guys, a lot more detail, um, a lot more contextual information to set these stories up. So if you haven't gotten that, get out and get that book, Lines of Marja, and it's on it's on um, Amazon. You go to Amazon, hit that search bar. You can type in either my name, Ryan Rogers, or Lines of Marja, or both, and it's going to pop up, and it's going to give you an option for uh, paperback or uh, Kindle, a Kindle version, and we're working on more outlets right now. So, getting back to the story, uh, this is this is going to fast forward a bit, Grimes, and we can we can kind of jump back and forth a little bit. But I wanted to talk about the brotherhood. So, obviously, Bridges gave you something. He gave you that need, that purpose that Matt alluded to earlier in saying, you know, you didn't make it your mission that this boy's coming home, or you're not coming home, right? Right. And I think. That was probably a start of a small brotherhood for you um, or a large brotherhood, however you want to look at it. But between you and Bridges, that was probably that first moment where you were like, boom, I got him no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's thrown around. It feels as though to me that sometimes brotherhood of the warriors are, you know, the um, um, band of brothers that was coined by, was it Tom Hanks that, that wrote that? Stephen Ambrose wrote that. Band of Brothers. Stephen Ambrose, and then was it Tom Hanks that produced the movie, though? Yeah, they I think he had a part of it, but so they coined that in the Band of Brothers, and they go through with the World War II. Actually, it was from Julia, uh, William Shakespeare. Oh, well, that's going later. Uh, Henry V is the play, I believe. Okay. On St. So, Cri- Crispin's Day. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so it goes way back. But in regards to the Brotherhood of American Warriors... Band of Brothers. Right. I mean, at least in my generation, we've watched... Band of Brothers, you could read Band of Brothers and you can see that these guys, you know, I never, it's not that I never understood it, but I, but I understood it so much better yep. um, when I went, when I went through terrible things with, with, with you guys. So, and that brotherhood starts and, and I just want to kind of get, get your perspective of it because the first time it hit me was uh, several days into the push. Um, we hadn't lost any anybody yet but we were running water from the alamo after a failed water drop mm-hmm. um, because rockets came up at our resupply choppers and um i remember like we finally got done with the water and now we're down there and the whole element was back together and we had been split for several days up at the alamo from the rest of the platoon mm-hmm. and even just in that short few days when the guys came back it's like it's just like a reunion you know and um I remember being up on that. Uh, <clears throat> I was up on the roof with uh, Herbie and we were smoking in Newport talking. And I got to see him and, you know, even him, you know, and we ain't, well, we brothers, but we knew we was always going to come home together. It had, to ha- had to happen that way. Give him a hug like, damn, dude, this is some shit. You know? And uh, you look down and you see the guys that had never been there before. I had no experience, no nothing. And it was like Grimes and Knuckles. It was maybe Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And it's just a couple of the guys that you knew were really good friends right. beforehand, 
and they joshed around and they did their thing. But I remember looking down from that machine gun post and witnessing, you know, and it's um, it's a a powerful emotion to see, you know, the embrace of a man, another man, boy, you know, whatever, 22 years old. And uh, so we're probably talking around the time when because uh, Third Squad had the gas station, right? When we were Third had the gas station, yeah, okay. and then Hind and our squad ended up splitting. Yeah, we were across the compounds across the street. Across the street. Yeah, so yeah. we're over there, and I'm looking down from this. Uh, I'm looking down from this post with Herbie and I just see like you and Nux and Pritchard and like all of your heads are in the middle. They're drinking buddies. <laughs> all of your, all of your rifles are hanging. You're, you sm- you smell like shit. Terrible. Yeah, you, you know, you know, 10 days maybe at that point. I don't even think it was 10 days of hard fighting, six days of hard fighting. Everybody's out of food. Um, everybody's, was out of water. I mean, just desperate times. I remember all three of you, you guys had your Kevlar's together and you like just hanging on to each other, hugging each other. And I'm like that. That's it. So I, I remember that actually too, because they had that a little bit before us. So they had like, they had rummaged a lot of that area. And oh, was, well, we, they remember when we were running water down, we came down the one time and we'd been gone for a couple of days and we'd been out of food for like a, a whole day, completely, maybe more. Yeah. And we walk in with all that water and Herbie comes up with this big wooden bowl. Yes. And it had eggs, cooked eggs. Right. I think they called Chicken. A, I think they called a rabbit and cooked oh, the yeah, rabbit, rabbit and put the uh, rabbit meat in the eggs. I think they found some rice and somehow I think the A and A guys brought pressure cookers with them in their. No, I think they found it in the bazaar. In their packs, yeah. But Woody had a pressure cooker in his in pack. pack. Yes, yeah. in a five pound bag of rice. Yeah, and so they they knew what they were getting into, yeah, I they, guess. They and uh, we just thought they were going to keep sending us food, and then when. When that didn't happen, they so didn't. the brotherhood thing works both ways here. Um, for the guys who are gonna listen, you'll know. For everybody that doesn't, you know, when I remember going in there, they came on. They were the drinking buddies. Me, Pritcher, Nuts. Like we always hung out on weekends. We always, uh, we always did the thing, and we got in there, and you know, Pritcher always. Me and Pritcher were close. Came right out to us. Knuckles was there. We were doing our thing. Um. And yeah, but it wasn't, you know, it's weird. It wasn't emotional for us. It was just happy to see a buddy. Like it, it could have been more, you know, I joked with Knuckles about it. Like I'm tired of seeing Knuckles' face, you know, right. good to see my boy and laughing about it. The hug thing happened. The one thing I remember about this a hundred percent was the way the senior guys treated us. There was like a lapse of rank didn't matter. I remember Cole hugging me. Cole's like, fat boy, you know, he ran up to me. Right. It wasn't, hey, Lance Cole, like, Hey, well, Vic, like, it was that initiation of, like, y'all got your shit in here. And then we went right back to the games, right? And, you know, you said it earlier where it was, like, you know, games wasted energy. I remember across from the gas station where all the seniors hung out. They had those stack of blankets. But they wanted to see how we would do. And I get that now. Like, we weren't able to take blankets. New guys had to go and fend for themselves, right? (laughs) Eventually, yeah, for everybody listening, they there did come back. Yeah, they came back and gave us. Somebody was like, what would the new guys do? Right? They wanted to see. We were hardened at this point. I still new, but like, y'all are here. You're safe. Quick. You're safe-ish, right? They third, all up to third. They had that place secured for us to get in there, right? We, everybody, you can go on that one. We checked it. That one might be ID written. Like, you know, we knew where we could go. But well, then we still had those two machine gun bunkers we had to fight yeah. that were laced with IEDs. Mm-hmm. Those hadn't been, those hadn't been... No, those hadn't been done yet. No. Those were still sitting there. No, we were just trying to put a foothold in so we can get it was 
I think real close to that time, EOD went back and and controlled dead at you know I think seven IEDs. Yes, and then I think they put like two satchels of C four a piece in those machine gun bunkers and crushed them. But you could see like the seniors were like being the whole everybody's back. Nobody like you said we didn't lost nobody. Yeah, we were all back. We were all good. We were we were messed up. Like I remember my I mean, if you remember I had to sit in front of a fire because. Doctor was on my toe and I'm looking this way and I can't feel it. Like I was just cold. Um, but there was just, it was just a lapse of all the, all the games that we played with each other, the ranking system, the I'm a senior, you're a boot. It, it went out the window and that was like the first thing. Remember that we went back to the normal games because we were really good at like, there's time to play, there's time to be at work, you know, and then it was, you get your butt back up at post. Herbie's the same way. Like I know you and Herbie, we talked about it in the book a lot. There's a lot of, he lit you up in Newport, he LBS, but Herbie was the same way with us, man. Like, oh, yeah, he greeted all of us, you know, that it hugged everybody. Yeah, always. well, I mean, it's not like it's, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's like rank went completely out of the window, but there's bigger things to worry about yeah. when you're fighting from sun up to sundown, and there's bigger things to worry about when you've run out of food and clean water. And there's, there's just that's not the time to play games with somebody that's not time to pull rank, that's the time to check on your guys, embrace your guys reassure your guys of the mission of what is to come reassure your guys that hey this is only day eight and we got eight months don't get complacent you know you want to take them in at that point because that's all each other has so if you're going to play stupid rank games and then you're going to have division within your squad and one of our laws is unity of command and when those kind of things pop up i mean it's important that you know, when you're in a shit sandwich, it's important that you understand that you're in a shit sandwich and that you're not on campus unit anymore. But I can also imagine, you know, maybe you and Shrek can talk about it. I can't imagine what that felt like for guys like that. Like, you did a whole workup with us. You trained us. Like, you watched us go from the scary little SLI kids to, like, we just threw you in the worst possible scenario you could possibly be in for the time. And then, you know, he comes in and he sees third guys, you know, he sees the, the Mary, he sees the Pritchard, he sees radio, you know, I can imagine Cole was seeing the same thing, guys, you know, we used to train side by side, second, third, first, all the time, we get our butts chewed out for making the stupid mistakes, the boot mistakes, like, it was cool to see my boys, but like, how cool is it on that aspect of you trained with us, you worked us up, and now we all walk in alive, we're tired, <laughs> our feet hurt. Yeah, we got one pair of socks in the pack. Our water's probably depleted, but now we're all embraced again. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's I think, what it was. I think from, um, I mean, I can only speak for myself. We me and you were together virtually the entire time, but that doesn't mean we thought the same things, right? And so for myself, I mean, to me, there's nothing. There's very little things in my life that have topped watching, you know what you all did yeah because you all were trained before i got there and then it needs to be i need to come in and guide that training and for me i mean y'all made it easy i come in i tell you what i want you get it done and uh and it's amazing especially given the you know whatever the cards that we were dealt because they weren't good cards and they weren't good situations and for some reason um not for some reason for reasons of good training and tradition and um a spirited core and brotherhood uh, we thrived in that situation. And so for me to watch my squad thrive in combat, in, in hard-ass combat, uh, dude, there's no, for me, there was no more beautiful, I mean, to me, that was the most beautiful thing 
in the world. It's like, yep, look at these. These are animals. So, uh, what do you think? Mm. Nothing to say on it? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> but right. we kept it up, too, though. You know, again, we're fast-forwarding back and forth here. How many times when we left the wire did we were on, like, a big, uh, big base, big area, whatever, pop? How many times Pritchard be at that that entry point when we come back? Right. Yeah. right? Always. And it, it at one point, it wasn't just to hit see me, just see Knuckles. Like, Ryan, I'd always hear him scream your name, you know, when the patrol leader came in, you got acknowledgement. Like, he was there just, and I know he was counting bodies. I, I, he's never admitted it to me. I know he knew how much we walked out with, and I know he counted everybody that came back. I did it to him, too. How many times did I have to deliver him bad news? Also, you're probably passing Lance Corporal Underground Ward, too, so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, and, but it was also a thing where it was like, he knew we was coming back. He was probably next, honestly. Like, that's how it rolled. We come in, tag your in, go. Yeah. You know, and if I wasn't on post, I'd always try to get post down at the entry point. I'm always trying to holler at Frederick. That was my boy, you know. Yeah. But he was third. And that all goes, all of that stuff is just reinforcing that brotherhood. It's like, you're going out there and putting yourself on post because you want to see your guys come back. You're waiting on them to come back. And things of that nature. So that just really speaks to the, that just really, really speaks to that whole group. Pritchard used to always tell me, man, every time we left, you better not die. <laughs> that was, that was his, obviously we give hugs, you know, to LOVs, all that stuff, but. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. And then, you know, you'd mess with him. Well, what if I do? I'll kill you. <laughs> Roger. Oh, got it. Tracking, you know. Um, Even if you're dead, I'll still kill you. Yeah, you know, but. And a lot of people figure it out. <laughs> just don't. And you know. So we're going to fast forward in the book a little bit from where we are and um, talk about February 21st and building up February 21st's mission. Essentially, we're down there scavenging for food, doing our thing. And at this point, the ground line of communication has been opened up by Lima Company, and they had actually moved in some engineer dozers to, to begin to um, construct a cop for us. Yeah. Uh, Camp Hansen was what it would you know, end up being. And um, so they're up there doing their thing, and we're down on post down at, the, down at the firm base that we took, a couple compounds that we took over in a gas station as a platoon. And they were going to build this thing just behind us. We'd already cleared that land. We had people on all sides of that. The other companies opened up. And so here they come. They're up. They're dozing. They're opening up HESCO, starting to, you know, try to construct some walls. And um, the next thing you know, they get, like, LT gets a call at the gas station of the radio. And it's the engineers from that truck. And they're saying, hey, there's people shooting at us. And we had heard the shots. But it's like they have an up-armored dozer with a, you know, security on enough trucks that had 240s and 50s on the top of them. And it's like, we're a click down the road from you. And I, I don't know what he said to him, but probably some of the order of, hey, if they shoot at you, shoot back. Like, um, you don't need us to come up there and shoot them. You have up-armored trucks. If they, you got bid. We don't have up-armored trucks, um, by the way. <laughs> if you have positive identification on them, they shoot them. You know, and, uh, you know, it wasn't like 10 minutes later. You heard a single shot and then a burp off a 240 and a... They called down and said, hey, we just shot one, this, that, and the other thing. So we got tasked as as a squad to go up there and uh, do a BDA, a battle damage assessment, see how many people were killed, see if we can find any clues about who they were, things of that nature. And so we make our way out. We, we make our way up to that section. And uh, 
up where they were shooting from was real close to a cemetery. The cemetery sat on top of a hill. That hill had a large radio tower, red and white and metal radio tower. Um, and then there were some scattered farmhouses a little bit around to, you know, to the right-hand side of the radio tower, let's say. And it was in those compounds that were, that the guy came up. And according to the engineers, he had a weapon. He pulled the trigger. They hit him with a burst. He went down. And so we make our way up there. And sure enough, he's sitting there. You know, he had like that tight cut ring vest on, just like the rest of them <clears throat> had the day before. And, you know, a long dish dash. And, uh, and he was gone. He was expired. And so I tapped his eyes, did dead check, make sure he was gone, see if we had any intel. Start to scatter out and kind of canvas the area a bit. And, uh, and our interpreter brought, you know, the guys brought me the interpreter and um, a local. Some of the locals were crying. Obviously, they were scared. And so we started asking them, you know, where's the Taliban? How this happened? You know, just getting a basic rundown of the sequence of events as they seen them. And um, she just ever so politely told me, you know, that he wasn't the Taliban. He wasn't the Taliban. You could tell she was getting more mad as she was trying to say he's just a farmer. And um, as, as time progresses, you could, she was getting very mad. And so finally, it's like, just tell me where the Taliban is. I know, like, I know what you're doing. And uh, she wouldn't do it. And so we were all standing there. I think I was talking with Matt at the time about how jacked up the situation was. And once again, you can't find a weapon. You couldn't find any casings from them. And, uh, but he was still there. But we were able to get up there quick that time, though, right. real, real fast. And, um, and then she makes the motion you know, while we were talking about what we should do, where we should go next, he makes a motion down to this little village down the hill from the cemetery and says, you know, that's the Taliban. If you go there, you aren't coming out of there. Right. And I remember remember, that. Yeah. I remember Tank. Yeah. I remember Tank and Tank telling us, Hey, that's what she just said. Our interpreter Tank, about 90 pounds soaking wet with a kid on and we called him Tank. He loved it. And he came up and he said, Hey, she's saying that, you know, that village. So you get, you get to the military crest and we look down and the entire village is flying black banners. And we come to find out that any grave site or any door that had a black banner on it typically meant that those were um, not very friendly to Marines. And um, and so, like, Roger that. So when you tell a Marine, don't go down there because you won't come out of there, and they're there to clear the area anyway. Tracking. What are they going to do? So I go back we're to going. LT. I meet him up in the – I meet him yeah. at the gas station and start to debrief him on what I seen, what I found, what was said. Um and the mission got planned. Uh, okay, we're going to go in there. Um, we can't have them in our back door. They can't get up on the high ground on that cemetery overlooking the camp and shooting at these guys or shooting down into our camp. We've got to go secure that area. And so we made the mission. And uh, and then the next day, that was the 20th, and the next day was the 21st. And, um, and that was a mission where our platoon realized that we were not invincible. What do you got? What do you remember from, let's say, what do you remember from the 21st beginning, beginning when you wake up, beginning when you know what we're doing? Starting was normal. You were very good with, if you could allot it, you know, get your chow, fill up on water. But there was always, regardless if we had time, make it quick. Roger tracking. Um, 
I didn't eat much. I, I tried, but I just never was hungry. Um, got my stuff together. I remember finding out we were going with first. So I linked up with like Hanson. I want to say Daryl was there. Um, Daryl was still there, um, but Daryl was sick, remember? Yeah. He, he had got a nick on his shin that turned into like cellulitis. Yeah, he got. So he was there still. Yeah. Um, we had already been debriefed. Like, it, it was basically we're just going to go support each other. We're going to, you know, clear the village house to house if we needed to. Whatever it was, like, a lot of it I remember being told just like be flexible with what we're telling you right now. Because we really didn't know the village, so from what I remember, outside of like this information, kind of what right. we're looking at on maps, is very be flexible, like Grimes. You know, Kolo was still there with us. No, no. no. All right, yeah, so I was running the saw then. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, it, saw team later. Saw team later. Um, Thanks, Corporal. And it was funny because that's why he always used to tell me to be flexible because he was like, "You're going to be used a lot to implement that weapon, so." implement it but at the same time like keep the guys in check but at the same time we need to throw you in a hey we need some leader to lead lead you know multi i was a multi-tool um track it whatever you know if you tell me to jump it um well not today um and not very high back then not very high back then (laughs) struggled since then it's it's always struggled (laughs) always um you know uh i met up with them we chit chatted and for those who remember hands and motivated ass dude um hugged me. I, I said something to him and I don't remember what it was, but I know it was one of my usuals. You know, I lived with Hanson, with my roommate, with his parents, his sister, everybody. Said something that annoyed him and just grabbed me and said, I love you, man. He was like, Love you. Last words I ever said to him yeah. to this day. Um I remember going out there, whatever, it was stupid. There was so much going on, and I never, you explained it best like a month ago. It was so big when you got there, in terms of how many houses and buildings. It's just, it's hard to remember specifics. I, I remember, I remember thinking like, the Lost Marine plan. Right. We definitely and, bit off more than we could chew with it, a, a half a platoon. Right. Like, and it was, it was pretty legit. Yeah. Right? It was house to house, you know, field, field. Field, field to field, you know, but just being in there, it was total chaos. Uh, the Makowitz part, <laughs> he heard pop shots in a building. He was about to frag it. We got Marines in there, but it wasn't his fault. It was big you know you say it all the time it was like, very confusing the we, way it was routed the way it was routed and we were so spread out it was it's not like no one did their job it was just two here two here two here two here ryan all over the place you know making sure people are set checking for time all that stuff radio communication with lt and uh stuff over there right yeah so you know the evolution and i don't know how much of it you remember you know i don't know how much you remember but it was so smooth. It was eerie, but it was smooth. We yeah. left that day. We worked up out of the bazaar, broke into the fields. Hind was to our right flank a couple hundred meters, maybe 300 meters or so. And we just kind of traveled and overwatched up. And then once we got up, we were up, but his elevation didn't change because we were going the hill and he was going the bottom of the hill off the side. Yeah, he was off to the right a little bit. Correct. And then... Um, and we made our way into 
a, a large building. It was a large, very large building, almost at the crest of where the hill was going to start going down to the building or down into the village. And um, there was no, there was no gunfire. No, everybody was moving fluently. You could hear the squad, you know, next to us in there radio checks and, and checking in with sit reps with LT and our squad, everything, everything seemed to be fine. Um, and then we made entry into the building. You guys got all the MAMs out. You, you segregated, you searched, everything was good. We asked the family to leave, which was common. We would ask the family to leave unless we were in a contentious situation, at which point the family would have to stay. And it was but usually it, in the opposite direction of where we figured we were most going likely right. contact was going to come from because we know where we're, we know where we're at. Right. And we knew where we had friendly. So we had friendlies to the back. We would send them away. Right. You know, we're sorry. We would do it, you know, generally politely, as long as there was no, you know, animosity felt or crazy eyes looking at you. They had the um, eyes. They all hated us. I remember that. Most of them were, most of them were pretty bad. And you know, that the ones that weren't bad left, they left, they went nomadic, they coiled up for a month and waited for the fighting to be over. So yeah, generally everybody we came in contact with in those first 25 days was their two fighters. Yes. And, um, but maybe not this family because we didn't get hit by them. They left. We popped all to the, to the roofs. We're kind of checking things out. And then it was like, okay, things are good. Let's go ahead and make our way up outside of this. And we'll go ahead to start the descent down into this interconnected village. And this interconnected village must have had, you know, I don't know, it was a good amount of compounds, maybe 80 different compounds. But some of them interconnected in a way that you never had to go outside of a courtyard wall to get into the next and into the next and into the next compounds and, uh, and cat holes all through them and black banners flying all through them. And, um, I remember coming out of the big mansion and turning right. And I was just going to go up by myself, you know, check out what we had, see, you know, what I, what I thought or what I could figure would be the best entry into the village because we weren't on either flank of the village. Like when Hind and them would come up from the right, if they would have been online with us, they would have come into the right side of the village and made a little sweep and not have anything behind them. Whereas we were kind of like middle left of the village. Um, and so you would have enemy both ways. Everywhere. And, um, and yeah, so I remember kind of coming up to that, coming up to that uh, military crest of that hill so that I could peek over and, and, you know, look down and the entire battle space erupted and it was everywhere. There was all over us. Rounds going everywhere. Um, Hind chirps over the radio. He got hit at the exact same time. And you could figure by the same group of people that were down there. And it was on. And uh, I mean, they were coordinated. We fought very, at all times. They, they were very, coordinated. Very coordinated attack. I mean, I remember we got fire superiority by spreading out behind the military crest. And it was straight up out of We Were Soldiers. I think I, I mean, even said it. It was just like, hey, spread out. We know they're down there, but when the fighting or when the firing stopped, they were right on that crest was blowing up. And so we go back out of the way. We no longer had anybody on the roof to have eyes down the hill. And it was like, okay, now we know they're on the other side. We know they're down there in the village somewhere. We're going to get dispersion across the top of this crest and we're going to pop it and we're going to get fire superiority. And then we're going to go to work. And, uh, <clears throat> and everybody was just like, yeah, Roger that. You know, except for the EOD guys, they were like, "This is not the movies." <laughs> both both staff sergeants were like, "No, yes, yes, that's what we're doing." And the, you know, boom! We I gave the command to move, and everybody moved up and just started laying down into it. And sure enough, there was another bunker system right at the beginning of that. Yeah, oh, Jesus. 
right at the beginning of the entry into there. And it wasn't like the bunkers from before, no. but it was like a hardened compound that they, that they made their own defenses up and they had machine guns in it. I put saw rounds at during that, man. Oh I yeah. Down. Oh yeah. And they would bark right back though. That's what I'm saying. They had some, some kind of defenses in there that we weren't, yeah. you know, so it was on and, and, and the more intense it got for us, the more intense you could hear the radio chatter from the other squads because they were on them too. We had a building in elevation. Pine was stuck in the middle of a, with his entire squad in the middle of a chisel plow poppy field. Yep. And uh, and bullets raining on him. And so they, it got bad. It got it got bad really quick. Um, I knew that what we needed to do was get fire security. Uh, we had LT with us. Staff Sergeant Wright was with Heinz Group moving through the field. I remember one time Staff Staff Sergeant Wright got called for a sit rep by LT because he hadn't talked recently and there was a lot of gunfire going <laughs> off and uh he's like oh, i'm face down in the fucking mud right now sir like over the over the gear and i'm like oh they're in real bad shape over there like because yeah. lt was like two bravo sit rep you know gunfire hailing two bravo sit rep and like on the third time it's like i'm face down it's like okay we'll be in a second sir roger that <laughs> will relieve pressure and so I, I remember real real close to that time um Corporal Bennett had the DMR up yep. and he had his team in an overwatch position watching both our, our left flank up to the radio tower, ensuring nobody got up to the tower on us. But he was also, you know, covering down into the city. And I want to say it was Bennett that plugged two or three guys off the roof that relieved the pressure off of Pine. And as soon as they went down, you know, I don't remember who it was and it could have been a saw gunner helping them too. Right. But they hit me up. Hey, we got those guys. Boom. They, they, you know, they neutralized the target and then the battle space fell quiet, like at least on hindsight. And it was like, oh shit. And then it would pick back up. It's like, okay, we don't have them all yet, right? Our side picked back up. You know, the bunker was going on. End up calling in for mortars, for 81 millimeter mortars uh, to fire um, and reduce this would be bunker mud hut because we couldn't get on them. I mean, for whatever reason, we couldn't get on them. And they, kept, they would bark back every single time. And um, the mortars missed by over 500 meters. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you remember that uh, adjust adjust mission there? Because I remember LT took it over. And yeah, you can't adjust a mortar that right. misses by that far. I heard. It sounded like right 500 LT. He's like, fuck it, in mission. Yeah, he looked at me and he was like, <laughs> he grabbed the hook. He's like, in mission, you're, you're, you're plus 500 off. And he just looked at me and it was just like, what the hell? You know, he shook his head. And it's like, well, what else do we got, you know? And so skids came in on station and uh, I'm going to toot Makowitz's grenadiering horn right now because Lance Corporal Makowitz was one of my M203 gunners. And uh, as the birds came in down, they needed a, a type one control, which means they needed to have, I believe it, they needed to have positive identification because we didn't have a certified JTAC on the ground yeah. with us. And so that makes things harder because we know they're shooting at us, but they got three foot walls you know, and I don't know if their fleers are going to see that. And, and then that day they didn't. Mackwitz pulls up. I'm trying to walk these guys on. And Mackwitz drops a yellow smoke right on the roof of the building. And they could not, they could not get pid and push back to the IP. And then it's like, mortars didn't work. Chopper didn't work. Like, all right, I looked at LT and he kind of gave me the nod. I gave him the nod. It's like, all right, I'm, we're going to do this ourselves, boys. And I think I asked for you to give me a law rocket off of your back. <clears throat> yes. 
Okay, so there's a little animosity when we talk about law rockets with Matt because just between me and you, by the way. Right. Well, there might be someone. There's somebody else here that this particular day. So, okay, here's what I'll say about the law rockets. In the beginning of the push, you carried yeah. one. I carried one. No, no he. I, you, I had the one. You had the one. And then we were fighting mutually supporting machine gun bunkers. Yeah, which we'll get to in a in a later episode. And I got it from you yeah. to engage those bunkers. Which we kind of had a little, a little, a little spat there for a second in the middle of the. Matt gets a little irritated that I took his law and shot it on that day. And then this day, we was in the fight, and I'm like, dude, I've already shot one, and it was a money hit. We can't risk this. We only have one. Give me your law. And he was real upset about that, and he wanted to shoot the law. Yeah, I did, because I carried it, and then as, as soon as you... That you was know, an eye sign. I, I know you have a... Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you have a story about this, but I specifically remember you saying, after you shot it, we have to carry the tube away. Charette, here's the two. And I was like, yeah. I don't know what you want me to do with that because I'm not fucking carrying it. <laughs> if I don't shoot it, I don't carry it. Yeah, Which, so uh, a little animosity. I mean, I'm not mad. But, uh, I'm not mad either. I mean, at least you didn't shoot it and miss because then you'd never hear the end of it. Yeah, that would have been way worse. We might worse. not be bros right now. <laughs> that would have been way worse. Yeah, so... Hey, he, it got shot. It hit target. That's all that matters in the end. Yeah, and so... He hands me the law, disgruntled, and and I don't know what he, where he went after that. I don't know if he went behind me or I went and pulled rear security for a little bit. Pulled rear security after handing me a law rocket, and um, so I, I snap it. Walk away, yeah. <laughs> I snap the law open. You know, I I take that whatever that millisecond to clear my head and give myself a one two three go, which is <laughs> a lot of times what I would do. And I was afraid. I was like, no, one two three, you got to do it, and. Uh, yeah, popped a military crest and it was an easy shot. Just straight down, not far, let her fly, and boom, it hit where it was supposed to hit, and it it stifled the fire. Like, okay, turn back to the battle space. Now, the threat that we know about that was on hind is reduced, or at least neutralized. They've stopped firing. Then our side picked up. We've reduced that. And so at this point, it's like, okay, we feel like we got, you know, we at least got control of the situation a little bit better than what we had a few minutes ago. Right. And, um, and then it was like, I was, I was just, I distinctly remember just kind of looking at the battle space and I'm waiting to hear where's the next rounds coming from. Right. Waiting, waiting, waiting. What seemed like forever was probably less than a minute. Smoke still smoldering after the wall shot. And I radiated behind and I was like, hi, Rogers, you're good to move. And I remember specifically he came back and said, um, are you sure? And you can never be sure in combat. Let's just be honest with each other. You never, you're working on, off of incomplete information. Let's say that always. Your job is to make the best decisions giving the incomplete information that you have available. And uh, the information that we had was that the battlefield, or that I had, was that the battlefield just went silent after we reduced two known enemy threats. And now I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I said, yeah, I'm sure you're good. Push. And then he pushed. And um, so they were in an open chisel, chisel, chisel piled uh, poppy field. And they push. And I think that two thirds of their element um, was still in the open when machine guns opened up again. Uh, or at least one machine gun opened up again. 
and they ended up hitting Matthias on his echelon um, to the compound. And this is all unbeknownst to us at the time up on that hill. Uh, we knew they were, we knew that, we knew they were we knew contact. that we knew that the contact opened back up, but that didn't come over the net that anybody got hit. I don't believe. If um, I remember correctly. Well, at first, at first, no. Um, we just knew they were back in contact, and and I was literally getting ready to lead the squad down over the hill for us. And I remember the last thing I heard before, like, because we'd already I'd already told you, hey Bennett, you're staying up here, Overwatch yeah. with the serve. Serve's going to pick you up. Shred, me and you, we're moving straight down to that building to the right of the law rocket and we're making entry and we're clearing this bridge. Yep. And just as I said that, I heard green gear over my right shoulder on E-man's flag, uh, start to cackle and they're calling in a fallen angel. Right. And a fallen angel was the call sign that we would give a Marine or a friendly coalition force. Um, when they had been killed in action. And I remember looking at LT and saying, who is it? Is that Hind? Because just prior to that, before the gunfire stopped the first time, Hind had been shot through his drop pouch, which ignited oh, right. a smoke grenade. The purple smoke. Ignited a, a smoke grenade inside of his drop pouch and burned him. And he thought he was hit to bring, that time. To bring a little light to that situation. <laughs> uh, in the workup, Hind was always first squad leader, and he was kind of like the old salt of the platoon kind of. Yeah, yeah. And anytime anyone would ask him something that he didn't know, he's, the response was purple. So purple. how fitting on the field of battle you get a purple smoke grenade shot and you look like a purple grimace oh, yeah. from, from McDonald's when he got done. I remember seeing him um, billow in the a, air. Yeah, and, you know, this day, it was a very uh, emotional day to say the least. But sure. just thinking about that kind of makes me smile just a little bit just because of the fittingness of it being a purple smoke I grenade. I never thought about that being his answer all the time, but it sure it was. was purple. purple. And, uh, and, and what's crazy is from my position – you know, when that happened, which was the same position I was in, you know, fast forward, just a couple of minutes before, um, you could look down on his squad and just see, like you said, you could see the billowing purple smoke. Yep. And uh, just, just, just like, oh my God. And then another one of his team leader, Jamie Wiseork, was, had a burst coming at him, hit the deck, and the burst missed his Kevlar, but shot vertical on his, through his camelback on his back, threw him through. Straight through the top, straight through the bottom. I mean, inches, inches. And uh, so they were in a real bad situation down there. Anyway, we got past that. And then as, you know, as this, you know, what happened next was they moved, they took contact. And then we hear Fallen Angel. And I looked at LT. I'm trying to, I said, is that Hind? And he just shook his head. Stone cold. He just shook his head. And you could tell that he felt that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we went over that hill. I remember skirting around to the right, and that run around that right, around to the right, was one of the sketchiest things I've ever done in my entire life. Yeah, like that was that was so sketchy because there was no cover right there, and we were going toward the bunker. Yeah, and you so know? and it was, but I mean the mortars missed, choppers couldn't yeah. fire. There's nothing you can do. You just gotta sack up and yeah, and, and close take a with. Run. Close with, yeah. Close oh, with. I remember that distance kind of far, too. Like, no, it was, it was like maybe 150 from our compound down the hill. I think the thing I thought it was fun was like, 
Well, we, ran, we I ran through like a small little wadi kind of deal. Well, but not even that. It was the, the intensity. Because again, like in the story, I've only told this to a few people. Like, I never know we lost anybody. Right. I and, never and see, heard... and that's why I wanted your perspective is because I didn't even know the chopper came in to pick anybody Same. up until until Staff Sergeant Wright and Heinz. Until Heinz Element and Staff Sergeant got to us and let us know, and I seen him carrying extra gear and a weapon, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I kind of thought because, like, I remember I, maybe I thought it was a while, a long period. It's like how, like, it was so intense when we pushed, when we pushed, and I remember thinking, like, maybe with uh, Heinz getting shot in that smoke, like, we were just tired of them being in that spot, and obviously the position we were in just wasn't good. But I just remember like get up and go, and it was like, and we, we, we was LT running. From there in there, and I remember getting to the wall where we breached in. I caught my breath like that very few times in the lab, like, oh, and we just do, but like, y'all was gone. Not you didn't leave us, but like, we, we put on our go fasters, we jumped the fence <laughs> to go get the ball, the dog was coming, right? Like, yeah, it was time to go. I just remember because it felt like it was so much. I don't run fast. That was not the time for Buddy Pair bounding, no, that was the time for the run. It was, get, was get there no, and go. There was no time. Well, and, and the other thing was we weren't under fire at no, that time. But I didn't want they to. They were under the fire, but yeah. we wanted to get there before the fire picked back up. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of detail that we're going to cover about this day in the book, but I want to fast forward being that from your perspective, you didn't have the perspective that somebody was hit. And that's my roommate. I had no idea. And this is your roommate that we're talking about. And it was and, weird too, because then to walk back, I was mad, dude. I was just so tired. I was so exhausted. It was so chaotic. That was like a six hour. It was it was a long fight. Yeah, it was long. four to six. I don't know. I don't know if it was six. It was a good portion of if the day. If you consider when we we jumped off, not at not at daylight, but just after. Just out, if I remember right, it wasn't. Just, it was in the morning when we jumped off, and we didn't get back till the afternoon, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. we, we, we got remember back late. We got back late because I remember I, my saw was hot. I put down rounds down range. Like I was over it, and we got back. You know, I was thrown up on post. I'll never, like, you've seen us, like, meet each other. I remember the most uneasy feeling being back on post. I still have no idea. None. And I was kind of, at first, I was like, why is everybody so damn butthurt? I'm like, we're, we're back. And, of course, the comedic relief. Me being me, that's me. I'm like, I'm trying what I can. I'm messing with people. Like, people knew. Nobody told me. Well, which I not get. Every, not everybody knew at that time. As and, soon as I found out, I told the squad. Right. Probably five minutes after that. Well, I had told Charette first. Um, I remember coming in to the. Uh, I remember coming into the mud hut, and there was a little hole in the tarp that covered the door, and there was like light coming in. I always remember that light when we're sleeping in there. But I remember opening it up, and everybody was exhausted. Like you said, everybody was completely smoked. And they, the guys on post knew that when we got back, they'd been sitting there listening to it all day. So it wasn't like, hey, you guys need to pull post now. It was like, hey, you guys need to go take some time. Yeah. And so my guys are in my side, half of them with dysentery, throwing up on themselves. I remember walking in there and watching Makowitz throw up on himself while he's scrubbing his cameras with tie, like tied in a water bottle because he'd thrown up all over himself and he was trying to get to throw up. And as he's washing his camis, he's throwing up over here, throwing up that way, washing his camis. And, uh, and it was bad. And um, I remember going over to the gas station and talking to LT about the mission, kind of doing a debrief of the mission or whatever. I remember going with Herbie and smoking some cigarettes and disappeared for a while, just kind of get some downtime. 
And then I was coming back from the gas station and I was moving through Heinz birthing when he told me and he just came up to me and was like, Hey man, you know, nobody, we just heard from first sergeant and, uh, you know, Hanson didn't make it dude. And, uh, you need to, you need to talk to your squad because a lot of those guys were close with him. Right. Rhymes was his roommate, you know, well, and y'all had not to mention we were all, they were all close anyway, but he had some really, really best friends prior to this evolution that needed to know. And, um, that's, that's the hardest thing I ever did as a leader. Like, hands down. Like, how do you tell your, how do you tell your guys that? And I just remember telling him, man, don't tell me that. And, uh, so then I make it over to the birthing and I'm like, the whole way I'm like shaking. I'm like, how am I supposed to, like, how do you tell, like, I never had to do it. Right. I never lost anybody. I never had to break this news. And so this was new for me. And I was like, man you know, trying to get my shit together because I can't let you guys see me be all fucked up. And I don't want you to see that because then that like an idea, Oh, it's okay. Then that's like, at that point in time, it was not okay. Like we needed to get our shit together because like literally we could be attacked right now. Right. And, um, so I took like maybe a minute or two, I got my shit together. You know, Hind even told me he was good about that. That was one, you know, one thing they said, like it plan this out in your head. This is not easy. You know, and um, and whether you tell them now or five minutes from now or ten minutes from now, that five minutes isn't going to kill it. Hanson's still gone. It does, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I took a couple minutes. I need like shook it out. All right, we got to do this. And uh, I walked into the birthing, and I was going to kick everybody out because as I was walking into the birthing, and I seen the guys out here washing their camis, you know, uh, just getting off a post, you know, coming down. Hey guys, you want some chow? And everybody's like bubbly. And now I got to crush that. Right. I got I got to kill that completely. And so I started getting, you know, a little bit emotional coming into the mad mainly, but so mad that I had tears running down my face kind of thing. And I'm like, everybody get the fuck out. Like it was real dark in there. Everybody was sleeping. Told everybody to get out of the building. And uh, you, you, you had your ear earphones in or something. You had like listening. I just, or maybe you were asleep or maybe no, you just waited. I was just like, no, I'm not going to. And so I, birthing I didn't want to see anybody, leader, so. you know, I didn't, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to see, I didn't want anybody to see me like that because I could feel like all of that, what was about to happen. And, uh, you know, all the younger guys are like, Oh shit. You know, they beat feet that were in there. You know, Bennett got out too, I think, or he was already out. And, uh, I just fell apart, man. I was just mad. I was losing my, losing my cool, losing my composure. And then, you know, I talked to you, we had our talk. Got my composure back, which thank you, and uh, called um, the, called the squad on to tell them. I was loading magazines. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I kind of, I think I kind of checked on the guys, got some water, and was like, "All right, I'm time to plus Top it up." Off, yeah. So then I call the guys back in, and so that's when you found out, I think, for certain uh, mm-hmm. what happened. And so you can just we'll close with this. Give me, you know, your your remarks on on that situation. I. I didn't know what to do. I remember you told us. I don't think I believed it. Like, I knew you weren't lying. But I remember sitting there on my... Whatever the fuck I was sleeping on. Probably a rock and fucking... Some fucking bird shit. (laughs) I just remember sitting there and I'm just like... So when the fuck did somebody die? Like, what is this dude fucking talking about? Like, I was fucking there. I I would have had to have seen the bird. I was like, he's fucking bullshit. And I remember looking around the room, like people crying. I remember looking at you, like you were fighting it. Hmm. 
you were angry and I'm like, he, that's, I was like, that's not a bullshit face, you know? And like to this day, like it's, it, I remember I got up, I was just pissed. I got up and I walked out and I remember I think you reached out and you're like, Grimes, and I, I basically like, without saying it aloud, said I want to get fucking beat up, but I was like, fuck off. And I walked out the hooch and it was like that well or whatever it was in the middle. I remember walking around it to the left. I specifically remember that. And I'm like, I don't let myself cry. It's not a thing I do. Mm. And I got angry because of it. And then for the love of God, I want to say it was Knuckles. I'll have to ask him. I don't remember. Somebody, one of the boots came out with me. <clears throat> and Not boot to you, though. No, no, no. no. But one of the younger guys. One, one of the younger guys. The guys I came in with came out to me and was like, hey, you good? I wanted to fight. Hmm. He would have fought. Whoever it was, it didn't get to throwing blows, but I was like, get the fuck out of my face. I was like, this is absolute bullshit. I was like, how the fuck did somebody die? And then it went from that to more or less me, like, I questioned my leadership abilities for a while. Like, how did I miss that? How Man, do you miss a fucking helicopter? How do you miss the because you Because you're banging in the middle of a city going, we were planning and banging. And, you know, and then it, and after I kind of got it out there, your face still comes to my fucking head. I was like, I just have to stop. Uh, bridges. <laughs> fucking bridges, man. I was like, I, I can't. I can't do this. It, it didn't go to blows with me or whoever the fuck was out there, but I grabbed my child and I walked back in. People were crying. I checked on bridges. I, I checked on the guys. You know, people, a lot of people were being like sympathetic. And you know, I don't handle awkward mm-hmm. shit well. Mm-hmm. So I jumped back into being funny. I was like, dude, get the fuck off me. I was like, stop it. Like, you want a fucking shoulder to cry on? Like, I'm trying to crack jokes and, like, people are sorry, but I remember I just, I stopped. Like, right then and there, I, I dealt with my piece. I knew when I got back is probably when that breakdown would happen, mm-hmm. um, which it did. Yeah. Uh, Megan's son destroyed me because that is Hanson reincarnated. I don't care what anybody says. Um, you know, I just, I put it in the back of my head. I remember, I remember the way I handled it was we left on a good note. I said, I love you. He said he loved me. And I was like, I can't let that impact me the rest of the deployment. I'm like, we're at war. We've lost people, whether that be to death or injury. I was like, it's going to happen. And I took it on the cheek. I was angry. I think that whole anger spurt lasted about an hour. I just had to sort it out. Um, well, you have to process the information. Right. And I had to put it through, like, it was real. And you're going to come through every emotion in the book that yeah. there is. And I, and I think, I think Staff on LT even put it out there, like, process that shit when you get home. And I know that sounds fucked up. Uh, I said the same thing. But you if, get to the rest of your life to process you this, we got to fight. You don't have any choice. If I, if I would have held on to that and brought that into the 22nd, the 23rd, Someone's dying, whether that's me or somebody next to me, or I'm not paying attention to you because I'm caught in my head. Like, yeah, after what we just went through for the X amount of days prior to that, there was no time for me to fucking sit there and wake up like, damn, Hanson's dead, and then think about Hanson the whole time. And it's it's a hard thing to fight. Um, yeah, when you're in that situation, it's a hard thing to fight because it, it is. It's uh, it just happened, and this is your friend, and. You can't even, and, and it, we know this going into it. This is not me feeling bad or playing victim, but it can be your roommate. 
Yeah. And yeah. guess what? You're going out on patrol in two hours, and I need your eyes to be sharp. I can't have them watered up. Or you can't engage. Boats. You can't engage effectively. And if your head's all over the plate, and that's what I, you know, and I always was told that same thing by, by my seniors. Is you've got the rest of your life to think about this and to sort this out. But right now, if you don't want that to happen again, it's time to shape up. It's time to shape up. We got to step and we'll get that. We'll pay that respect. Yeah. That'll be there. But right now I need you right here with me because I don't want the other 11 of those to happen, to happen that same way. And so, and that's a hard thing to say as a leadership because that's, you know, like you need that morning. Hmm. Um, people need to mourn. They need that process in, in combat. You just don't get it. And you the love same. your guys and you want your guys to be okay. Right. You, you're almost a, a, now being a parent, you're almost a parent to your guys as a leader. Try, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, probably the closest thing they got to a parent, you know, yeah, there, there. And then maybe sometimes country, it's yeah. not like a parent. Maybe it's just that older brother. Older brother. Know? Yeah, and, for um, sure. Trying to help you along your way. But that was, that was a hard day. That was a, it was a bad day and it was early. And our platoon realized that, hey, you know, as good as these first eight days went, uh, or seven days went, this was yeah, it was in the first week. We can be touched. Yeah. We can be not only touched, but we can be killed. And um, I think until that, that was humbling. It was a humbling day because until then, uh, I operated on on the full assumption that you couldn't touch me. Right. Um, Deep down at night alone, yeah, I said my prayers. Yeah, I made my peace with God. And yeah, I didn't know that I would get out of there. But when it was daytime and we were popping, uh, my mindset was that you can't touch me. Um, and then they touched us and it humbled us. And I think for a good, in the, in the good way, um, not as far as it being good, but in every bad situation, there comes some good. And that, you know, tribute to Jocko right there. This was a bad situation, but it had good in it because it woke us up. It showed us don't be complacent one time because you can do everything right and people can still get killed. Right. You can, you can not make a mistake and not bring a friend home still. And uh, that realization in combat is one that I'm glad that we got early because the fighting just continues to escalate, escalate on and on, you know, through nothing impacted us after that. And, and I'm not saying that to be cocky, but people were lost. Maybe not in our squad, but bad stuff happened. Yeah, and you know Courier was already gone. Yeah, no, no, no. Courier was coming. No, Courier was Courier was gone. the 17th. You're right. This was the 21st. But so even right. friends in other state. companies, you know, my buddy Patrick Xavier, like, yep. Yep. I had to deliver that news to Pritchard because I knew him and so did Pritchard. But, like, you know, if y'all ever want to know what he says, you know, I'm asking him. That's, that's his business to tell. But, like, I remember being told it and, like, I was like, man, that sucks. I felt it, but it was like, we went on patrol that day because his third came back when I grabbed him. Yeah. And then we have, we had to come back from it, but it never, I don't think anything really stopped us after that. Um, nothing stopped us after that. At that point, we were emotionally untouchable. Emotions were locked in. We had the blessing of not having spar war or unlimited resources to the internet and phones. And so people were able to stay in the zone. Yep. I know on some of my other deployments, the uh, internet and phone capabilities absolutely destroyed good Marines. Um, they couldn't they couldn't stay with it when they had problems from home that were clouding their mind. And um, yeah, so uh, that's gonna do it. Grimes, thank you so much for flying up from Florida to uh, to take part in this. And um, 
And like I said, we're going to have more guys on. Uh, You're going to come back on. More that you know. Grimes will be back, um, sure, several times. Like to get, you know, many more guys from our platoon to get different perspectives to give you guys, you know, the different thoughts. You've now got perspective from day one to ten on squad leader, team leader, and and a new join slash team leader filling the role as a multi-tool for the squad. And um, and so that's what we got for you today. We're going to go ahead and sign off. I got to get Mike to the airport so he can catch a plane. And, um, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you. How are we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. In episode seven of the podcast, we interviewed the owner and founder, Harlan Bottler. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns in stock or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearm. If you want to get further in the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, and Kydex holsters. Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com slash pages slash cnc. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Holland's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosives training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state also need to have this training in order to complete work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com slash pages slash CNC. Check the episode description for the link. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi and God bless America. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's funny. Yeah.